Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into 2001 A Space Odyssey in today's retro review. What's this? What's this? It's super califragilistic, expialidocious. What is this? A whole new world. What is this? As luck would have it, um, one a movie that I really enjoy, uh, a movie that I think is is pretty fantastic, uh, re-released in theaters uh, within the last month or so. And my local AMC was showing it in IMAX, and yeah, you know, I hadn't. I'd only ever seen it once. I saw it uh, on my computer screen, so hardly doing the movie justice. And so that is 2001: colon, A Space Odyssey, which I I feel mildly capable of talking about this movie, but I definitely felt more comfortable bringing in somebody who I think probably is almost an expert because it, it's their favorite movie and that person is kyle hey ryan hi kyle so nice to have you back on the yeah, show yeah thanks for having me back yeah it's been a little over five months since we did our last episode uh which as it turns out included talking about 2001 <laughs> yes we did i think we did but, chat about that one yeah but this time it'll be a little more a lot more probably in depth than sort of a cursory glance at that time. Yeah. Uh, and you, you've you gotten to see it recently in theaters as well. Yeah, right? I also saw it at my local multiplex about maybe a week and a half or two weeks ago. And it was also okay. my first time seeing it in, in the theater. I've seen it many times before that, but never in the theater before. Awesome. Yeah, it's a... Uh... It's quite an experience. Yes, yeah, so I have to that's say. That's when I back up here. Your first time ever seeing that movie was on your computer screen. Yeah. Oh, I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> I assume yours was on a TV screen then. Yeah, I mean it was probably on like a four by three, you know, tube TV in the '90s, but still, it was at least on a TV screen. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, no, it was on like a uh, probably. 15 inch screen max. Oh wow! Yeah, it, it's not not the optimal way to watch this. No, movie, no, this movie by is by far a big screen experience. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there. So yeah, IMAX kind of the exact opposite of that. Yeah. <laughs> the biggest possible. Well, it probably. I, I don't know if it was real IMAX, fake IMAX. I don't really understand that. In so far, but. Uh, yeah, it was a huge screen, and it was it was quite a quite a thing. Uh, you, what was how, was your how packed was your theater to see this movie? When what time of day were you? Did you see it? That kind of thing. So my theater only had two showings. Um, okay. So I think I saw it Sunday at four o'clock, and, and there was probably. Mm-hmm. 15 20 people maybe in the theater so not very packed um and i was okay. probably one of the youngest people there being at the okay. ripe age of 35 <laughs> fair enough fair enough um okay uh that's yeah how about yours similar, okay I, I would 
Yeah, I think my my experience was fairly similar. I, I think I'd probably like ten people total in the theater, uh, and I was. I don't know if I was necessarily the youngest person there. Uh, okay. There was, I think there was a teenager at the showing with me uh, who was there with his parents. Oh, cool. Um, I, yeah, I saw it on a, what day was it? It was a Monday. I saw it on a Monday evening. And yeah, it was very empty. Mm-hmm. But the people that were there, like I, I walked in maybe five minutes before the movie started and no one walked in after me. Everybody was already there. They were playing the score of the movie in this empty, in this dark theater. Nothing was on the screen. It was, that was kind of an imposing thing to walk into as well. Oh, so actually the movie may have started then when you walked in. Was yeah, it? Yeah, because I mean, I was... it starts like just black with that eerie music playing. I don't think so. Okay. I, it was definitely. I was definitely early. Oh, okay. Like I got there before the time it was supposed to start. I'm. I think maybe I was wrong, but I think they were just playing the score it, as it was waiting because like the lights were still on and. Oh, and so okay. Oh, I, I thought. I thought the lights were down and you were ready to go. Okay. Oh no no no, dark. I, I, I guess all theaters are darkened <laughs> even with the lights on in my mind, but maybe that's not true. Uh, yeah, the lights went down, and we just kind of were waiting. And it had been, man, I wish I'd remembered. It's pro- it was probably seven years between when I first saw the movie. Okay, seven, little maybe more, a little more than that. Uh, so I was. It was real. The f- first impression uh, was, I did not remember this movie half as well as I thought. I did. <laughs> Um, I, in my memory, the only sequences in the movie were the apes in the beginning and Hal. Yeah. And I totally forgot about the, the other segments, uh, both in between those. And then at the very, very end, I had completely forgotten about those parts. Oh, wow. The, I I think the ending is so memorable. I'm surprised you forgot about that. It is. I, and I can even say like when I saw Interstellar, it, it struck no chord. Yeah. I, which, you know, I having seen 2001 so recently now, I'm like, oh, it's very similar in, in aesthetic. Yes. But I did not draw a connection when I saw Interstellar, uh, which was sad. Well, I, <laughs> Sad in hindsight. I feel Interstellar is so influenced by 2001. I mean, so many space sci-fi movies are, but Interstellar really felt like it was almost Definitely. a direct homage at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially yeah that ending sequence for sure is is almost ripped straight from two thousand. Oh yeah, well, once he's going into the black hole, that might as well be the Stargate sequence in two thousand one at times. Yes, yes, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah. So you've you've seen two thousand one far more times than I yeah. have. Uh, how long had it been since you had previously seen it? Um, it probably been. Maybe a year, year and a half. Um, I got 2001 okay. on Blu-ray a couple of years ago. And I would say probably once a year I have the urge to watch it again. So mm-hmm. I've probably seen it yearly for the last, I don't know, three or four years now. Um, okay. And then before then, you know, I probably saw it every five or six years. 
Okay, I got you. That's that's good. It's good. Yeah, I think you know, definitely a movie that um, warrants revisiting. Uh, and and easy. I mean, I think almost all of Kubrick's movies are because there's always more to see and more to find and notice. Yeah, and it's something where I just get so much joy and excitement watching it <laughs> that I just want to mm-hmm. keep. It's like a roller coaster ride. I just want to keep riding it over and over again. And being back in that moment and having that excitement, you know, especially since I, yeah. since I know what's coming up, I can get excited about it. Right. Great. Um, so, I don't know. I was, this is the only time, uh, well, no, that's not true. That's, that's inaccurate. Uh, but this is the most comprehensive time I've ever taken notes at a theater watching a movie. Oh, you took notes. I took uh, don't let's not you know go overboard praising the notes okay. they're they're fairly uh bare bones there's just a lot of okay. them but it was mostly just me being able to keep track of like what was happening yeah. so that i could remember it because i saw it about uh a month ago so it's been a little longer for me um but uh so i don't i don't know i'll just kind of go down the list here if that's fine yeah i'd love to hear your take on it and i'll jump in where i can (laughs) okay so first thing that hits you which you kind of already alluded to this is just the opening theme uh the it's it's and and i mean i could talk about the theme throughout the whole movie i think it's incredible Mm -hmm. it it sounds amazing it's it's loud and bombastic when it when it absolutely needs to be and even I don't know, even when it doesn't need to be. And every once in a while, it, it gives you a little bit of breathing room. Uh, mostly, though, only when characters are talking. But outside of that, it's it's a very oppressive theme. You're, you're talking and the main theme that everyone associates with this movie. Definitely the main okay. theme. Uh, but I also would I would also attribute that probably to a lesser degree though to to the rest of the score throughout the okay movie, yeah uh, in a lot of ways but yeah the main theme which you know everybody is is either familiar with or would recognize if they heard it instantly they uh, recognize is, it yeah you know how how can you not it's like I've seen it in comedy shows i have seen it in every like i don't know probably a dozen two dozen three dozen other movies mm-hmm. uh commercials everything it's everywhere so and that that music and most of this music was not actually written for this movie right. yeah so um i think that the main one you're talking about is the also spark zarathustra um mm-hmm. which is by strauss and i think kubrick just heard that music and envisions the opening to his movie set to that music and said, I want to use that. Yeah. You, you wouldn't even know, like I know I definitely was like reading up on it after having seen it the second Mm -hmm. time, but watching it, you know, it, it, it's just one of those things where it fits so perfectly. Yeah. And you know, if you didn't know better, you could totally believe that it was made specifically for this movie. Uh, and it, it's maybe it's, you know, you can kind of extrapolate out from that that, well, it's been used and used and used over and over and over in 
you know, a plethora of other things. Oh, is this so, kind of a trope and a cliche now in anything? Yeah. So to that degree, it's like, oh, well, maybe it wasn't. So you can kind of use that as an example of like, well, it maybe wasn't made specifically for that uh, because it works so well with so many other things. But man, it doesn't work any better than it does with 2001. Mm-hmm. Uh, just it doesn't. So that, like you said, is like the first thing. It's one of the opening. You just it just gets inside of you, <laughs> and and really sets the tone going forward. And, and the screen is completely black while it's playing. Also, right? Yeah. yeah. So you're sitting in this dark theater. This, I don't know about mm-hmm. your theater, but my theater definitely had the sound cranked up a little higher than normal. Oh, yeah. Or maybe it's just the sound mix. <laughs> so you're getting blasted by just this brass fanfare. <laughs> and you're like, okay, I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> right. It's, it's real. I, I think the only other time a movie has felt that loud and, and has, such, has had such a physical sound scape was dunkirk oh yeah good when point. i saw dunkirk yeah. in imax yep that was the only other time um so uh good company mm-hmm. as far as i'm concerned and so we get the opening theme off the black screen and we finally uh we open on uh probably the easy, definitely like the second most recognizable sequence in in the movie which is the the apes and the monkeys yeah i think it's it's the Uh, osteopolithesis or something like that it technically is what they are there's some some pre pre pre-humanoid ape hybrid australopithecus or something australopithecus that's it yeah yeah uh so we get we open on these apes and uh for the record this movie is from 1968 yeah uh at the time, let me see here, not 100%. So it came out the same exact year as Charlton Heston and Planet, Planet of the Apes. Apes. Yep, two ape movies. Completely uh, different makeup. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and like, 2001 puts Planet of the Apes to shame Oh, uh, across the board. Oh, yeah. Like, you watch, it's, you watch Planet of the Apes, and this is obviously human actors wearing monkey masks. Mm-hmm. And then you watch um, 2001, which I think they use mimes or acrobats to portray most of the, um, I, I, mm-hmm. you know, the monkeys. Um, yeah. And the makeup is so good and their movement is so strong. You, like part of you is thinking, did they train monkeys? <laughs> <laughs> How is this possible? Yeah, I was, all I could think about was the more recent Planet of the Apes movies and just imagining a remake of the this sequence with like Andy Serkis oh, yeah. and, and his team doing it like that uh, you know these guys are just as good <laughs> you know 50 years earlier um it was it, it was definitely a a striking uh fascinatingly striking image of like just how not pre uh, uh, prehistoric, eh? It's not the best word. How like but... pre pre hominid life, maybe? Yeah, just watching these apes interact with each other, interact with their surroundings. Yeah, they have, like uh, they, they have, have tapirs these... on set who are just 
eating grass Walking and hear these actresses yeah. apes interacting with them. <laughs> yeah, they have a leopard. Um, I love the, that attack. I love and... that leopard attack because it's, <laughs> it's like such. It's real it comes out of nowhere. I I think it it still surprises me even though I know it's coming because you you <laughs> don't see the leopard at all. It's like off screen. And then out of nowhere, this leopard dives onto one of these actors dressed up in a monkey suit, and they start... It looks like that leopard's really going after him. It does. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, it's, it's, what is going on? <laughs> it's like um, like a, a police dog attacking the guy in the big fluffy suit yeah. situation. That's what it looks like, and... That ape suit does not look nearly as padded. No, no. I mean, I don't know how much training um, that leopard has or how much training the actor had with wild animals, but that's a pretty mm-hmm. realistic-looking leopard attack in my eyes. Because it, it oh, pounces yeah. from like yeah. ten feet above onto its back, onto his back. Yeah, you can. It, you know, it's completely off camera yeah. when it jumps, and it's not like the camera's zoomed in on the monkeys. It's pr- it's a pretty like solid medium shot. So I think that's what's interesting yeah. about almost that whole sequence is it's almost all medium shots and then a couple close ups. But you almost mm-hmm. feel like you almost feel like a silent observer. Like you're just hanging out out just outside of this den of these, you know, monkeys and observing their life and what's happening to them. You you really get that sense. Right. Yeah, you know Kubrick's so stationary with his camera, um, and and very just, you know, letting the the scene play out yep. rather than like directing your eyes to any one particular thing, um, and therefore you know giving you the opportunity to like examine and, and notice everything that's happening because there's so many things going on in the foreground, in the midground, in the background. Yeah. Um, he just. Expert, expert. Uh, I have one of my notes here says monkey effects so good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, And then my next note says vocalization behind the monolith. So uh, we get the monolith. Um, This is the biggest, you know, symbolic element of the movie. Maybe besides Hal's light. I guess. Yep. Uh, as far as like what you would recognize, and you know, this is it, it's it's a fascinating image, and to have it kind of just sit there, it, it just it does nothing. Yeah. It it asks no questions, offers no answers, and is the subject of many of many a debate online and in person and in film critique and and so on and so forth. And the first image of it, we get this vocalized, you know, chorus behind it. Mm -hmm. And, um, (laughs) it, it really is imposing just like the, the score is. And even, even just sitting there doing nothing, it, it, just kind of like hangs over the film even when it's not there which is is fascinating you're right because the minute this black monolith appears this right this really eerie music uh, it's by a composer by the name of uh, Giorgi Ligeti who was a mm-hmm. um I guess a contemporary or modern composer of that era and right it's just like a cor- choir of voices all singing the syllable e 
and trilling on it okay. and slowly like working their way higher and higher and it's building an intensity. And it just, it's perfect because you get the same sense that this thing has appeared and these apes are awoken and like they're just as they try and figure out what it is they're getting crazier and crazier as the music is building at the same time and mm-hmm. it's just fascinating that that music was not composed for that scene because it works perfectly i know you they they kind of the the monolith kind of appears in this little crater like yeah. area all all the apes are kind of like on the edge of the crater at the start and then one by a couple of them kind of creep closer to it and and almost touch it and, and eventually do touch it and uh, some of them it almost looks like they get burned by it or that's how they react mm-hmm. to it um, but eventually one actually places its hand like on the monolith yeah. and you know it, it just it, 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 first thing it really made me think of was close encounters with the the mashed potatoes like this means something oh yeah this, this, the big vibe I got from that moment and you know, it's you know, it's an image that continually recurs throughout the film, and so it means a lot, actually, uh, which I, I appreciate and, and like. Um, I have so I believe, and and everything I've read always refers to it as a monolith. Yeah. I have a note here I, 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 that says monolith or obelisk. Because I know they're kind of similar things. Yeah, I think but... I, I I think you're right. The majority of people would refer to it as a monolith, but I think you can call it an obelisk, and that too would be acceptable. Um, ancient obelisks are monolithic. Oh, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> you, you can't yeah. define a word with the word. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, it just a um. I guess if you think monolith, it's one. So you think of one tower, one structure. Mm-hmm. So it could work either way. Yeah, I. It's interesting. I had um, this is somewhat of a tangent, but I had uh, an idea for um a, a completely separate podcast that would basically every episode would compare two effective synonyms. Uh, or even more than synonyms, words that actually are the same exact thing okay. and why we have different words for them. And this was something, like, as I was watching the movie, at least, I was like, oh, this could be a whole episode about the difference and why they're and so on. And Two so monoliths versus obelisk. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> just, a, just a side tangent there. Um, okay, so we get the, we get the monolith. Uh, we get the vocalization, we get the, the monkeys, and they touch it, and it's a big deal. And so the next question is, well, what does this mean? Yeah. What's now going to happen? And before we, we 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 get this image during this scene, it's and it's replicated later in the film of uh, you have in the midground you have a hill, okay, and then the sky in the background. Yep with both the sun and the moon in the sky, just in a perfect line yes. up the middle of the screen, uh, which is um, not identically replicated, but like that sort of having these two sort of astrological mm-hmm. things in the sky in a line like that is, is shown later on, uh, which is just such a, like, you know, this is, I'm sure this has been said many times, like, Almost all of Kubrick's movies, you can just screenshot, freeze frame any single part, and it's a like p- 
put it on your wall. Yeah, yeah. this is every one of those. Every shot he composes is beautiful. <laughs> it doesn't matter what movie you're. I mean, especially once you get, you know, into like the '60s and beyond in, in his filmography, he just puts so much mm. thought. They're right. Like any any still from this movie could be a poster. Yeah, uh, this reminded me of the um, the two sons moment in um, A New Hope. Oh yeah. A little bit. Uh, obviously, those aren't in a line no. the way these are, but just having the two things in the sky, I, what I what made me think of. So uh, when we get to the mid the middle section with the moon, we'll circle back to Star Wars because there's definitely some things I want to talk about when we get there. <laughs> definitely great, good, 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 good. Uh, yeah, so we get that shot, beautiful shot, um, and then uh, I have note here swell of the theme yep. again yep. as. We discover tools. Yes. Uh, man. Um, so this, and and so no dialogue. There, uh, there's just monkeys. So there hasn't been any, a single word of dialogue yet. No, just grunting and shrieking so far. Right. And this ties in, uh, this everything in this ape scene ties into uh, my, one of my favorite, or my absolute favorite documentary, but one of my favorite movies, which is microcosmos, which is just basically observation of uh, uh, like insect life okay. in somebody's backyard, and it's short sequences, and each sequence you just follow a thing until it does a thing, and it just lets the thing do the thing. To, you know, yeah, <laughs> to no, be as... it's it's just it's it's like an observational documentary. There's, right, there's no commentary. And, and... Right, there's just footage yeah there's one line of dialogue at the beginning one line of dialogue from a narrator at the end and everything else for like an hour and a half is just footage yeah and this moment the you know the watching this sing one ape which i think is i i am guessing assuming that it's the one that touched the monolith yeah i think it's actually named i think it's called moon watcher okay i mean it's not it's, okay. it's i should say it's named in the credits it doesn't have a name in the uh Oh, on, right. on the screen. Mm-hmm. But this this one moment watching uh, Moonwatcher sort of, you know, kind of first like kind of hitting these this uh, skeleton mm-hmm. with its fists, and then eventually you know realizing that oh I can pick this up and it makes it easier to break things yes. and, and hit things and that felt like sort of like a very very condensed version of that other documentary. And it's perfect. Like it, it feels so natural. It looks so real that it, you know, if he, t- if if Kubrick had said, "Hey, I went back in time and filmed when we discovered tools," I'd have believed. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's... right. And he does such an effective job of showing that this ape has been affected by this monolith. Mm-hmm. Right, beginning of the movie, they're eating grass and picking bugs off each other. <laughs> they touch the monolith, and all of a sudden, Rice discovered tools, and it's discovered weapons, and now they're yes. they're eating the tapir, you know, with these docile creatures that just live next to them. Right, uh, you know, they've it, it's it's war and 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 violence yes. and, and such has been incited. I have um, <laughs> so I have two notes here. The first one is everyone has tools, so one ape figures this out, and suddenly all of his friends mm-hmm. can also do it too. Perfect. And the very next note is not everyone has tools as they encounter a second group of apes yeah. that do not have tools. 
and it is very there's a very stark contrast in in this sort of brief showdown confrontation that takes place ultimately ending with the toolless apes uh being chased away and and defeated and, in battle in that sense and kubrick shows a confrontation pre-monolith between these two tribes where it's it's right, all just barking and aggression there's no actual <laughs> yes. acts of violence and mm-hmm. then you know he circles back 10 minutes later and now one tribe has tools and weapons and the other tribe shows yep. up thinking like it's, it's like you know don't bring a knife to a gunfight <laughs> Exactly. So one tribe's like, yeah, we'll just yell at them for a while. And then the other tribe says, <laughs> we got bones. <laughs> right. And we will beat you with them. <laughs> yes. You know, it's a representation of, you know, aggression yes. as well as dominance mm-hmm. um, and power. And uh, it's like it's we get military superiority. Yeah, exactly. You know, definitely a very metaphorical thing for the world and you know it's happening now it was happening then Mm -hmm. it happened before then it will continue to happen in the future um by almost by maybe not by necessity but at least by human nature as as he illustrates uh which then we get the uh, uh the the um the transition? That's what I'm getting to. Yeah. I had a different word in mind. Okay. I don't know what it was. But yes, the transition of... Uh, he th- the, the I guess Moonwatcher throws the bone into the sky. And as it spins in the air, it's, it, it dissolves, I believe. I think, I think it's a smash cut, if that's the right term. Smash cut? What, what, yeah. Or it's, you know, it's, it, there's a shot of the bone spinning... And then it yes. cuts right to uh, like a, a satellite. Yes. In space. I ha- yes. So I, I have a note here that this was 19 minutes into the movie. Yeah, sounds about right. So, yeah. So 19 minutes in ape ape world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so now we're in completely uh, alien territory for me watching this the second okay. time because I had no recollection of any of this this part happening. I was completely uh blindsided by it. Um and you know, I at, at first I was like I thought, "Oh, this is one, this is like the second guy on the spaceship who I'd forgotten and we're just getting to that point and then it was like a far longer stretch of time than I was expecting and I was like, "Oh, this is actually a thing yeah. that we're doing." It, <laughs> um, like it's so, this is probably the part of the movie with the most plot to it. Yeah. Or exposition maybe. It is. It is. It it features, you know, um it, it doesn't really have a lot of it kind of it starts you out like halfway through whatever's happening is happening, yeah. and you're just kind of picking up the pieces as we go along. Uh, we follow uh, Floyd. Uh, Floyd. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Doctor Haywood Floyd. Floyd. So we pick up on this guy, Floyd. Um, let's see. I have a note here. Yeah, he's on an airplane. At first, a Pan American like a shuttle. shuttle. Yes, <laughs> I was like looking for those little True. things. Yeah, 
Um, and uh, I remember making a note of um, a 3D pen effect when the pen floats off of his lap as he's asleep and the stewardess grabs it well, yeah. with her Velcro shoes. Um, do, you, do you know how, how they did that effect? I don't. So the pen is um, attached to a glass pane that is then suspended on uh, wire. Okay. So oh. on film, you don't see the wire or the glass pane. So it looks like the pen's just floating, and the, she just plucks it right off of the she plucks it right off the pane, and then puts it back in his uh, jacket pocket. That's brilliant. But it's so clever because it's like it looks like it's floating. It's, it does, and it's the simplest. There's no scene. Like it's it's stupid simple. Oh yeah, it's it's the most straightforward thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I let's see. I noted, um, again, the score, bombastic and beautiful. Yep. Uh, this, I think this is the Blue Danube waltz they're playing at this point. I think By so. By another composer. Right. This is um, Johann Strauss now. Different yes. Strauss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then the grip shoes. So there's a sequence where uh, the stewardess... Oh, man. I'm trying, Let me see if I can remember the logistics of what she does. But she walks through like a circular door yep. um, straight up as if you know she was standing in front of you then like th- put deposits a tray and retrieves a different tray or something like that and then walks in a circle upside down <laughs> out, unbroken shot yeah suppo- I assume yeah it's unbroken it looks like uh, to upside down to exit through a different door out a different direction left a uh, left of screen yeah, she walks Which, from like six o'clock all the way past midnight, or past twelve yeah. into like nine o'clock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you think of a clock. It's it's, yeah. it's it's stunning, and you know I I, I can't I, I don't know. I, I know how we, I don't know how we did it. It definitely I can't imagine it was like the grip shoes actually were that strong. They couldn't be because also gravity. Yeah, um, <laughs> but uh, it just. You know, it's one of those things where it just, it seems so innocuous Mm -hmm. and harmless until you think about it. And then it's like, what the hell did he do to like, he was like turning the camera and the stage at the same time, kind of like uh, Nolan did in Inception. It's Uh, kind of close. So it's very similar to the Inception. Um, In this case, the camera is locked into the set and this whole set's rotating with the camera. So because okay. the camera's locked, <laughs> according to the camera, nothing's moving and she's moving. Right. But if you were that if you were sense. watching from outside, you would see the whole rig spinning and she's just walking in place. Jeez. Yeah, Jeez. and he does that a couple times. There's another shot on um on is it Discovery mm-hmm. where it's, right. and I think I might have even had discussed it the last time I talked 2001 with you, where he actually <laughs> does a, a double spinning shot. To, it's crazy. So. I'll yes, that back we will later. definitely get there. Um, all right, so um, I made a note. I, uh, the note doesn't really refresh my memory, but there's a shot of, I guess it's the, the shuttle landing inside the hangar. Yeah. You get, um, I want to say, it, it's 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 very Star Wars. That's and... Yes, it's very Star Wars. <laughs> it's this... Um, you're like looking inside from like you're inside the the spaceship or the shuttle yes. bay 
and the shuttle bay is white and it's this rectangular like opening to space with like blue lights mm-hmm. surrounding it and there's people walking around like you you imagine a stormtrooper's going to walk right down the frame <laughs> like th- you do there is no way that George Lucas didn't see 2001 and borrow that he's like well that's that's obviously what it's going to look like <laughs> that's my space station yeah you've got cuz you've got four walls that you can see and there's like a kind of like a each wall there's a room underneath the the wall yeah. with through glass with like people working and the gravity is keeping all of them upside down or on the left or on the right or whichever direction you're looking yeah but it's like all their so heads happening. are pointing towards the right. the opening portal to space <laughs> yeah uh, it's 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 fantastic it's a great show yeah and it's total and star wars so star wars uh and then, so even up to this point, I believe, there still hasn't been any dialogue. No, not yet. It's because it's just the music right now. Right. Um, I have a note here, what, uh, Star Wars, and wondering what... I didn't remember what year Star Wars came out. Uh, 77. Whether, so, nine years later. Uh, yep, correct. And then my other question I wrote down was, what was the budget like? discrepancy between the two movies and i don't know Ooh, that. that's a good question budget new hope because i think budget. i mean kubrick had at least established himself by this point so according to google okay uh 2001 had a budget of 10 and a half million dollars okay in 68 and nine years later, New Hope had a budget of $11 million. Which is probably less with inflation. Right. Yeah. Uh, so. But similar. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know. I, I, I think my thought process at the time was, because I'd seen, I've seen the original Star Wars trilogy fairly recently. Yeah. And I was like, this looks, I don't know if I would necessarily say better but I think based on I wasn't sure exactly how many years difference between the two movies there was, mm-hmm. and you know nine years have had I known like seventy seven off the time I was like okay this is at least for the especially for the time better with what they had yeah especially because two thousand one didn't have a playbook like for for what this kind of stuff was look going to look like mm-hmm. whereas Star Wars kind of did. <laughs> And I don't think 2001 uses any blue screen or green screen or anything like that, where Star Wars did use um, blue screen for their space battles. Oh, really? Yeah, I think, I believe that um, 2001, all the space scenes were shot in studio, like with a black mat with pinpricks in it to simulate stars. Mm. So that might be one reason why it looks a little bit better, because it's all done in camera. Nice. With these, you know, Always the best. Highly meticulous models. N- nothing moves fast either, so that kind of helps too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no space battles no. in 2001. No. <laughs> um, let's see. And then, uh, I, I'm there. I have a note here. Waltz like a dance. Yeah. Which was, I think, while the. Not, I think it was while the shuttle was like maneuvering itself and landing. Correct. Yes. And I have a note: audio storytelling. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It, it's it's. 
you know, I, I think the the biggest critique that gets lobbed against 2001 is it's slow. And, you know, I, I can't argue that. I think it totally is a slow movie. Yeah. But deliberately slow. And I pre- in my opinion, it's a good thing. I prefer that word, that it's deliberately paced, where Kubrick is yes. telling a story... And he knows what story he's telling. He's not just marking time or stretching things out. Like there, right. there's a reason. He's yeah, he's deliberative. There's a reason why he has one scene last this long or another shot last so long because he wants you to know something or he wants to, to convey some information to you. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's you know just like we said, you know, all of his his imagery all of his his sets everything like that is meticulously sculpted the the timing and every 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 facet of the movie is meticulously to 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 scale yeah. with exactly what he wants it to be and finally we have dialogue <laughs> 23 Final, minutes in give or take yeah. uh as our our boy floyd meets up with miller uh, and they have like this, they have to, uh, like go through this pseudo customs computer thing Yeah. that I wasn't entirely, again, like I said, we kind of, kind of jumping into this partway through whatever story is happening is happening. And we're not really sure what Floyd is doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just know that he's on a mission basically. Yeah. And he has arrived at this space station that is kind of, I mean, it's like an airport. It's a hub for a bunch of people to go from place to place and talk about this, that, and the other, and, and, and so forth. And so they get through this little customs thing, and then he ends up having a conversation with another guy and two women. Uh, Russian, I believe, is their nationality. Yes, Which, correct. given that this movie was made in 1968, the idea that russians and americans were sharing a space station was revolutionary yeah a a big deal (laughs) um yeah and i I don't have any notes about what they talked about but it's very much it's it's the kind of conversation you could totally like overhear in a, a common area and listen intently to yeah and if you're not like in the conversation you don't know what's happening yeah no, and all you know is that something's going on because the Russians are asking <laughs> Floyd about this this base, and Floyd's getting mm-hmm. kind of cagey about it. He's like, well, "I'm not, sh- I'm not sure what you guys are talking about." <laughs> yeah, so yeah. that's like a little hint that there's something bigger happening. But that's that's your first idea that you that you get that Floyd is actually doing something on the space station. Right. He he comes across as if he definitely knows more than he's saying. But he also clearly doesn't know like exactly what they want him to answer. Yeah, he he's still kind of in the dark about the truth of the matter himself. He just has a little bit more knowledge than than he's giving out. Yeah. Uh, and I, <laughs> pretty uh, mildly frustrating uh, point of interest is that pretty sure that. 90 to 95 percent of the dialogue of this four of these four people happens between the two male characters yeah the women don't talk a ton no they have like one or two lines yeah um anyway 
uh, <laughs> at least there were women yeah. at all. Yeah, at least there were women scientists on a space station. Yes. <laughs> um, so then he goes over. He, he eventually recuses himself from the conversation and enters a Skype booth to talk to his family. <laughs> Sponsored by Bell Telephone. <laughs> Yeah. Did you also notice that the hotel behind them is a Howard Johnson? I didn't. Yeah. And I I might even be I'm too young for that reference. Yeah, I I don't know if I'm sure if Howard Johnson's still around anymore. Last time I I remember they're more of a chain of motels. They kind of downgraded, but I think they okay. were uh, I think they were a you know, ubiquitous uh, hotel chain back in the, you know, okay. back in the Pan Am and Bell Bell days. <laughs> Yes, I Pan Am and Bell. I, I was on on the wavelength of. Yep. Uh, not so much. Um, so yeah, he he has a conversation with his wife and daughter. Yeah, his daughter. Yep. Yeah. Uh, only thing. Let's see. What did I? <laughs> I noted that I think the uh, daughter asks him to bring back a bush baby. Yes. I, which is I think a funny. bush it's like a, it's like a guinea pig or something like that is it yes yeah. I, I had more of like a marsupial in my head okay let me look it's, so, it's it some like? small rodent yeah um small nocturnal primates native to Africa oh, it's a primate yes oh okay you know, they got the big eyes. Oh, oh, that yes, because they're nocturnal. So, yes, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, like the only thing Kubrick's obviously very meticulous, and he mm-hmm. predicted Skype calls. You know, fifty years <laughs> before Skype came out. Um, the only thing that bugs me about that sequence is the daughter is like she's like sitting on a bed and she starts rocking back and forth or something, or she moves, and then the camera follows her. Oh, does it? Right, to keep her in frame. And oh. obviously, like, you know, as we Skype on our laptops, if I move, my laptop doesn't track me. Right, right. Now, maybe, We're not there yet. I mean, maybe you can say, oh, it's tracking technology. I don't know, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like, that just, that is something that, I don't know why it takes me, for that brief moment, it takes me out of it. It's like, okay, here's a camera that's following this actress. Mm-hmm. Who's moving back and forth. Yes, but it's, it's. I mean, that's such a. This is my favorite movie of all time. So, like, if that's my biggest yeah. nitpick, super nitpick. It's a super nitpick. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. Uh, I don't know. I I personally felt like this conversation he has with his family, um, as far as like plot relevance and and so forth, seems unnecessary. Yeah. Other than to basically determine he's a family man. Yeah. And we we sympathize with him now a little more. Well, because at this point, you don't know. You think he's the, the new main character. Right. Right. Like, you've been with these apes for the last <laughs> 20 minutes. And now, finally, mm-hmm. there's this human on, on screen. You're like, okay, he must be the guy I'm following now. Well, I mean, I mean, to a degree, he is in that sense. For this time, yeah. Right. Until... For about 35 minutes or so, we follow Floyd. Um, Let's see here. So, Skype call. Uh, Then, the next note I have is Clavius. Is that the place he's going, I believe? Yeah, I think Clavius is the crater, or that could be the station 
outside the crater. Okay. Maybe Tycho's the crater. Cl okay. Clavius could okay. be the station. Right. Um... The the station on the so there, he's going to the moon. That's the right. the next part of it. Correct. Yeah. Um. So he has a conversation uh, where he outlines concerns of. So so one of the the supposed um, things that the Russians think could be going on is uh, they're concerned of a breakout epidemic. Yes. Uh, so it kind of feels like you know it's as if you know they came on the news and they're like such and such place has just been quarantined. No one's allowed in or out except specialists in like these fields. Yeah. We don't, we can't tell you what's really happening. And everybody's like, Oh my goodness. It's like a zombie apocalypse or it's a breakout of swine flu or this, that, and the other. They found some alien and, bug on the moon. Yeah, yeah. Something to that effect. And they're like, Oh crap. Something's, you know, they're containing stuff because something is wrong and it could get out. Yes. Uh, is basically what they're, uh, their approach to this is. And I have a note here that uh, perfectly constructed conversation, tense, cheerful, <laughs> <laughs> like so, so diametrically opposed feelings uh, because it is very tense. It is, you know, you obviously get this sort of almost kind of like a cold war sort of thing where mm -hmm. like, Hey, this is cool. We're, you know, having this conversation and talking about what's going on. And at the same time, it's like, yeah, but but you know, I'm trying to get as much information out of you as I can. I'm trying to not give you any information or slip up and let you think one thing or another thing. And yeah, it's, it's like we we're sharing this space, but we're still Americans. You're still Russians and we still have our interests and you still have yours. Yeah. So we're not at 100% share all information and technology. <laughs> right. Uh, so then we get... Uh, so Floyd eventually uh, find, gets on his, his next flight mm -hmm. uh, to the moon. And uh, I have a note here. We get more stewardess anti-gravity stuff here. And my note says, The stewardess walking in a circle, letting the camera adjust afterward. Um, Which one is this? I'm not sure. I'm trying to like envision what I meant by that. Uh, but it's it's the because I made a note like Kubrick not usually you know doesn't at least in 2001 didn't you know move the camera you know yeah definitely not handheld or anything like that. But in this instance, the camera follows uh, the stewardess somehow and. Something I don't know. I can't yeah, think of it. I can't because he he doesn't repeat the shot of her walking in a you know in a clock circle. No, so it's not that. Because because in the first flight he it's it looks like it's an airplane. Yeah, basically this time it's not. He's he's sitting in more of like a circular apparatus with like a pillar in the middle. Um, oh, and he has pointed outward. He has like a view outside. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. There's a uh, a tray. He has like a tray of food. Mm -hmm. It like floats at one point, uh, and so, um, and then there's uh, the zero gravity toilet that he uses <laughs> with the uh, with meticulous was... instructions. Yeah. Oh my goodness. 
Oh, so many instructions. It, that, this, that's like the only bit of humor in this entire movie. <laughs> is like, it just, you know, zero gravity toilet, and it shows these ten instructions which you cannot read, um, which no. apparently people have screenshotted that, and they are, they're, it's actually sure. written out, but it's incredibly long. <laughs> and then it slowly zooms out, and there's Floyd, like, chewing on his knuckles <laughs> as he's trying yeah. to read these. And that, But that's like the only time you're going to chuckle maybe at, during this entire movie right it's it's very uh it's a, it's a very interesting like brief tonal shift yeah. for the film uh which kind have, of have you heard the kubrick bathroom theory i don't think so so he bathrooms are featured predominantly in almost all his movies okay and as 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 he gets later in life, like more and more important things happen. So like in, um, Dr. Strangelove, uh, one of the characters kills himself in the bathroom. There's the toilet scene in, um, 2001. I can't remember what the bathroom scene is in clockwork orange, but you get into like the shining, which has the one, you know, the, yeah. the bathtub you get mm-hmm. to, um, uh, full metal jacket where there's that big climatic scene between the drill sergeant and Gomer Pyle in the bathroom right. um in eyes wide shut tom cruise and uh nicole kidman have, have a big fight while in the bathroom so th- there's oh. sort of this connective tissue of bathrooms throughout his movies interesting yeah interesting yeah what is there like a conclusion well from I, this i think the theory is that you know maybe like the bathroom in our Western society is a very intimate place where, you know, like you go there, go there by yourself and you do what you do in privacy. So mm-hmm. to, to have climatic events happen in bathrooms, which are supposed to be kind of these safe private places um, are kind of his way of jarring the viewer of almost saying like, nowhere is safe. Okay. Like we, we can take we yeah we can take this private moment this private space <laughs> and have something happen in it. I like that. Yeah, I think that's I like that. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Cool. All right, that's my tangent. Okay, <laughs> no worries. Um, awesome. So more anti gravity space stuff, and then uh, we dock at the moon. And I have a note of more waltzing docking. I, th- I think it's the same music again. Yeah, and yeah. this docking scene. This is where they they land on a platform that gets lowered down into the base. Mm-hmm. That base looks like the interior of the Death Star to me, especially where the Death Star ray gets shot down that big cavernous space. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking. That like, makes we're in yep. the Death Star right now. <laughs> it's just. George Lucas just bought the sets from him. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I mean, George Lucas saw this movie. He saw these incredibly detailed sets, and he's like, okay, well, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to recreate that, but I'm make a space adventure movie instead of a heady sci-fi movie. Right. So here we finally get some, some like, concrete facts, yeah. finally. Uh, Floyd uh, enters this boardroom with, like, I don't know, maybe 15 other white guys. And uh, he he sits in front, he closest to the camera mm-hmm. at first. Uh, another guy like kind of introduces him and is like, oh, Floyd is here to 
solve our pro- problems, basically, or or at least uh, uh, characterize them in a sense. And they reveal that the epidemic story that the Russians mentioned is the working cover story yep. for what's really happening, which is terrifying that an epidemic is the cover story <laughs> like, for what the truth is. Like, the epidemic seems less bad than what's actually happening. Yeah. like Or, or, or more believable. Yeah, one or the other. Um, so, so that's kind of crazy. Uh, we get Floyd, who goes up and talks uh, and tells everybody, kind of uh, soothes any any restlessness mm-hmm. that's happening and, and kind of calms down the fears and, and concerns that everyone seems to be having. And I made a note here that the it's all one shot on a swivel camera. Oh, th- yes, that is. And, and that looks so cool on the big screen because he's using these wide-angle lenses – so mm-hmm. when the camera swivels, the edges get a little distorted. Right. Um, and that, that pops up later in the movie, too. He uses these wide-angle lenses and swivels the camera, and it just kind of gives you this snow globe effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, Floyd calms us down, and uh, everybody he, – he opens it up for, like, questions. I think there's only one question, uh, which I don't remember what that was. But we then head off to f- determine what's really happening. Yeah. They're finally going to show us what's really happening. And they're in, you know, big gaudy spacesuits as they approach uh, this excavation site, yeah. basically. And when they descend down into it, wouldn't you know, it's a monolith. And you're like, oh, I've seen this before. <laughs> <I see. laughs> yeah. Uh, they make a comment that it had been buried for four million years, yep. which is quite a long time, uh, which, you know, in and of itself uh, uh, demands so many questions. <laughs> like, how did they find it? What was it pulsing? Was it creating some sort of electromagnetic field was it was i think it it's drawing a, them to it i think it's electromagnetic electromagnetic yeah because they I, I believe they mentioned like the polarity of the field is incredibly strong and they, they may even show a little map of like you know oh you're right curved they, lines they, yeah that's right because they they take like a small shuttle to the place yes There's, like four guys in a small shuttle that's right and they kind eating of sandwiches. have that conversation <laughs> yes eating sandwiches <laughs> Uh, right. Okay. So four, four million years ago, at least, yep. uh, it's been buried. Uh, and the other thing is I said a monolith, but there's no reason it couldn't be like the monolith. Is there? Uh, yeah. So <laughs> I think it's a, I think it's a, well, it, actually, you know, it very well could be the monolith but it could be different um it could yeah we we can kind of discuss maybe at the end what what this movie is yeah. actually about <laughs> sure definitely yeah plenty we'll have plenty to t- talk about I, i've got some some concrete ideas and some theories <laughs> yes um i mean uh, i would assume 
and and it would stand to reason that the monkeys in the first part were not on the moon. No. Uh, and if that is the case, then, but if they they were on Earth as we believe they were, then have humans just not found the monolith that was on Earth? And if they didn't, is it because it's buried or it's not there anymore? And if it's not there anymore, maybe now it's on the moon. Yeah, you're right. I don't know. You're not sure how much time passes between the apes at the beginning and the moon part now. Has it been four million years um, or has it been less? Like I know humans themselves have been around for 30,000 years, right? Like Homo sapiens. Right. So I – so I don't know. It could have been. Yeah. It, 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 either way. But, um, yeah. You're not quite sure what, how much time has passed between those two moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the camera moves down. This is this is interesting. So the camera is in front of the... the I don't know if cosmonaut is the right term here, but just the guys in the spacesuits. Yeah. It moves down the ramp with them. Yeah. Which is interesting. Is it, and, it's falling behind them, right? Or is it in front of them? Yes. It's behind them. I think it's behind them. Yeah. I believe it's behind them. Uh, and so it follows them down the ramp. And they they kind of just stand and, like, kind of stare and in and, and awe. Because and, a couple of them, like, are aware. They knew it was there. Yeah. Floyd is, is seeing it for the first time. Someone's taking pictures. Yeah. They, they take a picture with it, of course. Kubrick predicting selfies. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and it lets out a, a screech of this piercing signal. Yes. Oh man. It's, it, it, it was so loud in the theater. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Like it was uncomfortably loud and I loved it cause it just put you in that moment mm-hmm. and it goes on for a while too. Yeah. It's, 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 it felt like a fire alarm was going off Yeah, somehow. And then. Uh, you know, they're all, you know, trying to cover their ears and, and get out, get, keep it out of their heads. And then there's this, I don't know if they, if it's, it's a pan, I think it's more of a, it's, it's a cut to an image of a hill with the earth and the sun behind it. Just like the sun and the moon from the hill and the earth that we saw earlier, uh, which is the the uh, bookend yeah. of this sequence. Do, do you want me to explain the significance of that shot of the the hill and the earth and the sun? Please do. So actually, that what you what you're seeing as a hill is actually the monolith, and it's the sun rising over the monolith because the monoliths are solar activated. Okay. So. It's right. It's showing that same image on the moon of the sun rising over the monolith because now this monolith has been uncovered. It's, it's buried. It's been now right. been dug up. The sun is hitting it for the first time, and that is what's causing the uh, um, the signal to be released to activate. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, uh, Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke, the um, the science fiction author wrote the book and the screenplay in tandem. Right. So there's 2001, the book, and then 2001, the movie. Uh, the book is attributed to Arthur C. Clarke. The movie screenplay is attributed to Kubrick. But they kind of wrote them at the same time. So I've actually read the book, and that kind of fills in some of those 
gaps that Kubrick did not explain. Fair enough. Which I find interesting. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I I have not read the book, um, but it, it's 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 curious, you know. I, I, I'm, I'm sure they, they, you know, corresponded quite a lot during the process. Oh yeah, they, and... they would bounce ideas off each other. Um, right. I know the the biggest change is Clark had the had the monoliths. They were clear, and they're almost like television screens where they would show information to the to whoever's interacting with mm-hmm. it. And then Kubrick was like, "Well, there's no way I can make a clear block look cool on screen." <laughs> right. So he just made it a just black slate, which I think is even more impressive. I do. I, I agree. It, it's it's just it's that much more imposing. Yeah. Of a visual of a visual. Yes. Definitely. So we end Floyd's sequence, pretty much completely done with his character, almost. Yeah. Uh, and that is fifty four minutes into this movie, um, which is not even halfway yet. Yeah, uh, I think my credits rolled at two hours and 35 minutes, so we've got a ways to go. Yep. Uh, so, uh, this time, we do get a passage of time, uh, 18 months yep. later. And we open on... Uh, Kimball? I forget, I don't know who it is. Pool? Uh, is it Pool? Yeah, Frank Pool. Okay. Frank Poole, uh, who Frank is um, shadow boxing and running. And running. And in a then... circular space station. Yeah, he yeah. is <laughs> running in a circle, uh, a vertical circle. Correct. And we watch, we follow him uh, do this, and it's it's. it's, it's really impressive. <laughs> yeah, well, so, so there's two shots. There's one of the camera stationary where it looks right. like he's actually running like in a gerbil wheel all the way around. Mm-hmm. And then there's another yes. shot of the camera, but I think both in front of him and behind him, maybe one of them is a swivel. Yeah. The, so the, sw- and... the swivels, the, the, sorry, the swivels, the, where the camera's locked on a tripod mm-hmm. and he's running past the camera in this loop upside down loop. And then yes. the other one is, I think the camera's behind him. Correct. As as the space station is spinning, or, you know, the, he's running and the space station is spinning around him. Yes. Both impressive shots. Oh, yeah. You, you, you know, without once seeing outer space, you automatically feel like you're there. Yeah. It, yeah so impressive. Um, and then I have a note. The first time that we hear Hal then, then comes. Yes. Hal. Hal's voice uh, permeates throughout the entire space station. And it is so... Uh, so, voiced by Douglas Rain. Yep. Uh, he he brings just a complete lack of emotion. I don't know how he does it. it is, his voice is so soothing, but flat. Yeah. Yeah. It's, like it really sounds like in a computer that has no emotion, right? Yeah, you know, I, I I'm I'm like 
thinking of like uh, voiced um, computer characters like Jarvis from the from Iron Man and like not even close. Like nope. obviously has emotion. It's snarky. It's sassy, uh, and and so forth. Um, and even or you know you could go to uh, like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy with Alan Rickman doing the voice. Yeah, of like the most depressed robot in the world, or. <laughs> You go to uh, Moon with Kevin Spacey doing the voice in Moon, which is probably the closest to uh, Hal that you might be able to get. Like Spacey definitely doesn't have as much uh, have much emotion in his his voice work there. Yeah, he he's kind of doing his sort of flat Hal impression. Yeah, but this is, I mean, this is doesn't just like set the bar, but like. It made the bar impossible to reach yeah. <laughs> ever, and how it's and and even more to that, you know. By the time we get to the end with how uh, you you even feel like, despite him saying even some of the same words, same phrases, in the exact same tone with mm-hmm. the exact same decibel level, it means completely different things. Yeah, uh, which is just almost unfathomable <laughs> in a way um which i think I, I don't i mean it sounds exactly the same but you know you you've been put, given just completely different context you know we're introduced to hal and you know who knows what hal is at this point we don't know that he's bad or good or anything or that he even has the capacity to be either of those things mm-hmm. um he's just the voice of a computer that yeah, owns this entire spaceship, and, and we don't know how smart he is yet either. Right, right. Uh, so this is where we learn that they're on the first manned attempt to get to Jupiter. Yeah, that is what's taking place here, and because that's where I the know. signal from the moon unit went, the moon monolith. Right. Yeah, it was right. pointing towards which. It, and and it's fascinating, you know, other movies would, you know, because we just saw it's very easy to get to the moon at at least 18 months before what we're seeing. Yeah. And we don't have any sort of time frame of, of you know, whether or not it's, you know, have they been to Mars yet? Have they been to, you know, what was there a process? Did it take steps? You know. Mm-hmm. Had this been attempt, or this it hadn't been attempted before, but like had, you know, was this even on the docket before the signal, or so on and so forth? Um, which yeah, leads like, to like, the well, assumption. Go ahead. Yeah, like with this, they're on the, they're on the spaceship Discovery. Like, was this ship built specifically for this mission, right. or was it something that they were working on anyway and they repurposed now because they found something new? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, and so we get, um, we then uh, learn names of uh, other astronauts who are asleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Hunter, Kimball, and Kaminsky yep. who are all asleep. And the only people awake are Frank Poole, who we already saw, and Dave Bowman. Yes. And. Uh, they are eating. Is that that way we first see them together? Or yeah, 
Yes, they're, they're eating. They're eating like their mush food. Yeah, they're they're space mush. And what which... what I yeah what what I love about that scene <laughs> is don't they both have like what we call iPads now? So they're sitting yes. next to each other, but they're each on their own separate iPad. Right, watching the same thing. Yeah, and it's like, how much is that not a predictor for where we are now? Jeez, where everyone's sitting it's... around on their own personal device next to each other. <laughs> it's Even... uncanny. Yeah, it's so clever. And then they get a call from, like, command center, headquarters, what have you, mm-hmm. where uh, a lot of... A lot of information is explained, uh, including this little tidbit of uh, no 9,000 computer has ever made a mistake or distorted information, Yes, which is what HAL is, HAL 9000. Uh, This is obviously important, (laughs) as we will soon find out. Later, yeah. Uh, Yeah. And I have, I think this is a quote from HAL, which is, I enjoy working with people. Yes. So, which just has all kinds of connotations to it, because at no point throughout the movie does Hal's voice ever demonstrate emotion. No. Uh, yet he claim he it claims to enjoy something, and he he claims emotion later when right. something's happening too. Right. So you're right. Like, does he have emotion? Does he just use words to make um, humans respond to that? Mm-hmm. Have you ever watched the show The Good Place? I've seen parts of it. Um, do you know Janet, the personal assistant that pops up? Yes. So th- th- there's there's this one moment where they need to deactivate her. And in her cheery mm-hmm. voice, she warns them, just so you know... When you attempt to deactivate me, I'm going to plead for my life. <laughs> Ignore that. <laughs> and then they go to deactivate her, and she starts like screaming, like, no, don't do it. I have a family. And, like, put on this huge emotion. <laughs> and it, it, and then they stop, and she's like, oh, no, it's fine. Go ahead and deactivate me. <laughs> yes. And I almost feel like Hal's doing the same thing. Like, maybe he's just, you know, using words to convey emotion to that humans will respond to, though he himself does not have emotion. Like, he's, you know, like a, a sociopath computer right (laughs) that's a good way to put it sociopath computer yeah makes sense to me um cool so we get i enjoy working with people um i just have a note that says dave and frank i think that was just me marking down their first names yep (laughs) um then uh i believe it's uh, dave's birthday or I, Hal, I think it's Frank's birthday. It's Frank's birthday? Yep. Hal wishes Frank happy birthday, mm-hmm. which is, uh, again, odd for a, an emotionless computer. Yeah. But it also kind of made me think of uh, Facebook updates and being like, so-and-so's birthday is today. Why don't you wish them a happy birthday? Oh, yeah. And it's like, well, am I really wishing them a happy birthday or is Facebook wishing them a happy birthday through me? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, I believe it's, so, uh, so Frank, uh, has sketches and, or I think Dave does sketches. Dave has, Dave does sketches. Yep. And is it Hal that asks to see them? Yeah, he does. And then he compliments Dave's talent. 
Yeah, he says, oh, that, that, that those are very lifelike. They look very good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which, this this whole sequence of basically kind of doing far more to establish Hal as a character than either of the humans... Oh, yeah. ...is, is so fascinating. Um, because he... Hal is emotionless, but displays, at least through his words, emotion, mm-hmm. uh, is able to... Uh, qualitatively uh, grade sketches um, and uh, shows far more range of of just human reaction than either of the humans actually do at this point. Yes, yeah. They seem less less human than Hal does. Yeah, you almost feel like they're going through the motions. Yeah. Of just kind of... rather boring day-to-day life if they've been traveling for <laughs> probably at least a year now. I'm not sure if they said how long ago they left. Mm-mm, I'm not sure. Uh, so, and then Hal also in the same conversation with Dave uh, brings up potential reservations he might have about this mission. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, which is... Interesting. You know, I think, you know, Dave, obviously the second biggest character in this movie, ultimately, uh, by the time it's all over. Are you saying behind Hal? Hal being yeah, the character? Behind Hal. Yeah, behind Okay. <laughs> um, and so, you know, early, very, from the first spot, you know, this is really the first time we've had a chance to, like, talk with Dave. Uh, and we see that he sketches. I don't remember what he was sketching necessarily okay do you oh yeah he's sketching um pictures of the other astronauts that are in hi- uh, hyperstasis oh, that's, right. that's what they're that's right that's yeah right. that's right so it's just like pictures of their faces uh, behind glass yeah yeah and i think hal almost you know as a as a psychiatrist kind of like looks at him and he's like you okay, buddy? Yeah. <laughs> In a sense. Um, You're just sketching your sleeping crew members? Yeah. Not not strange or weird at all. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's just fascinating. You know, you have... You would expect, and I think, you know, at least at this point in time, most sci-fi, you get the impression that the human character in the human AI relationship is the one with like the final verdict. Yeah. Most of the time, you know, R2D2 and C3PO can act off and do what they want anytime they want. But at the end of the day, like when Luke tells them to do something, they pretty much do what he wants them to do. And this completely flips that dynamic in the opposite direction, because from the beginning, it feels like Hal is in control. Yes. And And Hal's telling telling what's going on. Right. Hal is providing all the information. Hal is running every single element of the ship. Yep. Uh, it, it's just everything is completely up to Hal's discretion. And so that makes it that much more curious that, you know, Hal is bringing this up because it means it matters to Hal. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, at this point, we don't know what Hal's motives are, but you get this impression that, like, Hal is want, wants nothing out of the ordinary to happen. Wants nothing 
unforeseen to occur either. And this, just this moment gets kind of this like twinge of like, oh, is this something I'm going to have to worry about later or what kind of thing? And it's just, all it takes is like, are you okay, buddy? And it just, all that. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. So then next thing is um, Hal starts finding inconsistencies. Yeah, he finds an error in a satellite or something. Yeah. Uh, He picks up uh, a a 72-hour failure. So it's it's not even something that's wrong right now. But in three days' time, this thing is going to fail. Yep. And he also specifically mentions that for the next 71 hours and 59 minutes and 59 seconds, it will be indistinguishable from the perfectly working version of the thing it is oh i I didn't catch that yeah so he says it will fail in 72 hours and there won't be any issues up until that point oh yes that's right yep yeah okay so uh, which is very strange i don't like i don't know anything in present day that does that yeah that says it's going to fail but it'll be fine until the moment it fails because right. everything and, I know of, like, you know, it's going to, it'll degrade. Right. It might limp That's... along, and there will be a point where it has to be fixed, but it can work up until this point. And, you know, I, I can't, I, I'm not, like, the most computer-savvy person, mm-hmm. but I would hazard a guess that the most computer-savvy person could use a computer and not know it's going to fail until something shows that it's going to fail. Yeah. I don't know how you predict that. Or usually you don't know it fails until it fails. Right. Yeah. Correct. It's It's, it's it's hard to predict that kind of thing. Yes. But we've already been told that no 9,000 computer has ever made a mistake. Yeah. Or distorted information. So we have to take this at face value and believe it. Or, Or maybe we don't, but at least Dave and Frank do. Yeah. So... That means that, um, so so we end up, we, we follow, we track them through these very bright hallways as they go to these, um, not escape pods, but like uh, little, uh, they, I don't know what they call them. They look like underwater submarines. Yeah. Uh, they're, yeah. They're, they're, yeah, they're kind of round, they have this oval front, and then they have these two large claw arms sticking out of them. Yeah. Yeah. And... I, so I love the, the so we get uh um let me see is it Dave that does this he goes out the first time I think what yeah I I don't I don't remember which one goes out uh, I think it's Dave oh. goes out to retrieve the the unit that's broken that's supposed to right f- right um, so go ahead and, and I I love I love this sequence how slow their little space pods move like nothing oh, yeah. thing, nothing is fast nothing is you know if no one's flying around like his gravity like they're just they <laughs> slowly, exactly what I like, of. take out they rotate um from a very far distance dave exits his pod and just like floats through space towards the spaceship <laughs> which yes like not tethered or anything uh-uh. <laughs> but I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll let that one pass. <laughs> yeah. 
And and what's more, the entire time this is happening, from the moment he gets into this pod, oh yes, uh, the audio is just breathing. Yeah, which is very unsettling. Yeah, that's all. It is. That's all you hear is this. It's like Darth Vader breathing. Yeah, not quite as deep and menacing, but still unsettling. Yes, it's it's you know most of the, most of the sequence, it's relatively consistent and relatively you know just beat beat beat. Mm-hmm. Uh, every once in a while, it, it fluctuates ever so slightly. You know, as he exerts a little himself a little more or or relaxes. Yeah, and it just. Uh, it, it I, I made a note here, like, when I'm listening to it, he's breathing very hard. He is breathing a little bit faster than, like, you would averagely breathe. Mm-hmm. And it makes me do that. Yeah. I'm, like, breathing in pace with him as he's doing this. And you mentioned it's a very slow and, and methodical sequence, you know, <laughs> as he's, like, floating through space at, like, 0.1 miles per hour or whatever yeah. it is. And yet, you know, you're sitting in your seat, like... <sighs> Like, really, like, getting amped up, and nothing is really happening. Well, because you don't know. Is, is something going to happen? Like, you're right. primed for something to happen. <laughs> yes. And nothing out of the ordinary happens. No. So and it, it's this, it's this build-up, and there's no release. Yeah. <laughs> it's very frustrating. And so uh, Dave, I believe, I guess, retrieves the... Uh, the box yep. or whatever it is and brings it back for how to examine and wouldn't you know how finds no failure in the nothing box. wrong with it nothing wrong with it and it, then Hal turns around and blames human error for his own mistake basically yes. yeah yeah he i think he even says no how 9000 has ever made an error um, yes, there there must be something. There must be right. There must be some human error of some sort. Mm-hmm. And th- this, he, uh, let me see. I think, I, I think it's there where he su- he says that they got to put it back <laughs> and just wait for it to fail. Right. Because yeah. then they'll know what's wrong with it yep. when it finally does fail. Uh, I, I don't think. It, they may have mentioned they may mention it when it's first brought up, but I don't think they ever really explain what the thing does. It just, yeah, I, it could be some communication thing, maybe. But right, it, it does. They don't go into depth like if your T seven thousand fails, this mission's aborted. <laughs> like it's not right. mission critical. It doesn't. Yeah, it never feels like oh man, if they don't fix this, they're all gonna die. Yeah. Situation. Yeah, it's more of like right. hey, FYI. Yeah. This might be a problem in the near future, but yep. we have plenty of time to figure it out. And this this is when uh, Dave asks Frank to look at the pod with him. Yes. Uh, totally not suspicious at all. It, so, it, it, I think he literally says, hey, Frank, I want to show you something in the pod. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is like what you say to your buddy when you're trying to pull him away. Hey, I want to show you something over here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh, and so they both get in the pod. And it spins around, so Hal can see them, but can't hear them. You can't hear them, correct. And they test, like, Dave, like, says some stuff and, like, asks Hal to do some things, and Hal doesn't, nothing happens. Uh, And so... Did you notice the uh, sound design in that scene 
when like so the ship always has a hum to it and right. then when they enter that pod and they kill the communications that mm-hmm. hum stops it's like they're in a sound vacuum yes which i thought was so clever so good thought of everything yeah uh so they get privacy from hal separated from him uh he's got a uh frank's got a bad feeling he doesn't he doesn't know what it is but he's got a bad feeling about hal yeah and they talk about uh, i made a note here uh, that Hal had reservations about Dave earlier. Now they have reservations about Hal. Yep. Um, and then uh, I quote a quote I pulled. Uh, they, they so they talk about disconnecting Hal. Yeah. And that they're they're like you know nine thousand has never made a mistake. We think Hal made a mistake, so we need to disconnect him. And yeah, we then can't I trust him quoted, Right. And I think, I, th- I think it was Frank who says this. I'm not sure, but they say, "Not sure what he'd think about being disconnected." Yes. And so it's not even, you know, just us watching this, thinking, "Okay, well, Hal is supposedly, you know, emotionless, supposedly all these things," and you know, but we're hearing these different terms of phrase that he's using, and and then we get from the characters themselves he thinks he thinks yeah <laughs> what would he think about being disconnected and and that's almost a, a more emotional response like people say what do you think about this but what they're really asking is what do you feel about this right uh man and so and then and then adding to the further sheer brilliance of this one scene is you know, throughout it, we're slow. We're every once in a while being cutting back to show how. Yeah. Just kind of sitting, waiting, you know, for them to return, and then we start cutting back to Dave and Frank, and it's no longer you know the two of them sitting in this pod. It's lips, and it's Hal's vision. It's through his eyes. Yeah. Yeah. And you know he. he it's just so brilliantly Im- implied that Hal is reading their lips. Well, because it, it keeps cutting between their lips and then Hal. And then it, right. and the camera keeps getting closer to Hal every <laughs> yes. time it cuts back. So, like, you, it's, it's Kubrick's way of saying without dialogue, like, Hal is processing mm-hmm. this. Yeah. You know, he like, knows what they're saying. Something's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Or even if he doesn't know exactly what they're saying, he can at least tell that it's it's a negative thing he doesn't he's not he's unhappy with what's happening and have we mentioned i mean I, i'm sure most people know what hal looks like but if not all hal is is he's represented by this dull red light in like a yes glass globe right or in a circle glass circle that's it yeah and he's in every room of the ship so he like he like yeah. he's not he's he's not a robot like he's just built into the panel of the ship right it's, it's like I, having even, like an, like an alexa in every room of your house and more to that like the the further implication here is that hal can see them yes but what is he seeing them with because like it's a light it's not an eye yeah as but, much as it represents his eye but bro like he says back to um back to uh, uh bowman when he's doing the pictures like oh, oh show right, it to me right. 
So that's his Show way. It to me. And I think it even might even that might be Hal Vision also, where, where he, Dave holds up the um, okay the picture, and you see it through Hal's point of view. Interesting. Interesting. Cool. So uh, at this point, uh, we have an intermission. Yes, we do. Uh, can I tell a story? <laughs> can I tell a story about my intermission, or do you want to add anything yeah. to yours? Because actually, there's uh, a story about my about my theater experience with this intermission. Okay, mine is very uneventful. I okay. will just say that I noted at this point we were an hour and twenty six minutes into the movie. Okay, so for your intermission, was it was it dark the entire time? Like, did the house lights come up, or did they keep it dark in the theater? Um, I'm pretty sure the house lights came on. Okay. Uh, on the screen, does it say intermission, or is it a blank screen? It said intermission for, okay. like, 20 seconds, okay. and then it went blank. And was there music playing during the intermission, or was it silence? It was silent. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, I had the same thing, where intermission came on screen, the house lights came up, I thought, mm-hmm. oh, hey, I'll, I will you know, quickly run to the bathroom because I know there's more movie coming and I'll, I want to enjoy it. Sure. And then, okay, so now here's my question for you. When the intermission was over, what happened next? Like, did the music start again or did it cut right back to the movie to them um, on the spaceship? Um, it, uh, I think it just... Because my first note after the intermission okay. resumes is uh, Hal takes out Frank. Okay. All right. So in, in so in my, in my theater, I'm just trying to establish because I I couldn't remember exactly what how intermission acted like for the movie. So uh-huh. um, in mine, right, lights come up, says intermission. I leave the mm-hmm. theater. I'm probably gone for a minute. I come back. As I'm coming back in, the house lights come back down. Okay, the screen's blank, and then the eerie music starts playing again. Okay. And I'm trying to think, oh yeah, maybe maybe Kubrick did play eerie music during the intermission to like keep you in the mood. Uh-huh. Um it's it's kind of like you know that that weird vocalization music. Then that main theme comes in. Again, the screen's still blank. Yeah. The main theme comes in. I'm like, okay, I don't remember the main theme coming in <laughs> during intermission here. And I started to think to myself, are are we listening to the beginning of the movie again? Like did something happen? Right. The main theme is over. And then you start hearing, um, like, monkeys growling and, ch- and crickets chirping. And I realized, oh, wow. oh, God, they've restarted the audio from the beginning, but, there's, <gasps> but it's still a blank screen. So I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is where the movie's just, just about to, like, get going. Because it's all been build up up to intermission. Right. Um, so this goes on for a minute or two. I leave the theater. Um, I find some like teenage kid who's like tearing tickets. I'm like, hey, FYI, <laughs> in the theater or whatever, 2001, um, there's something going on. You may want to talk to like your projectionist or whatever. So he mm-hmm. thankfully like, finds someone. The projectionist pokes his head in. He's like, this isn't right. Again, still, screen's <laughs> blank. It's just the audio of the beginning of the movie. Huh. Thankfully, thankfully, they rectify it. But I was Great. really concerned that they're going to be like, house lights are going to come up. They're going to say, sorry, folks, something went wrong. Here's oh, your no. voucher. I'm like, no. <sighs> so, that would have yeah, been so, very disappointing. Yeah, but yeah. So I was I was a little tense there for a couple of minutes. Um, thankfully, they figured it out and they restarted the movie back on the Voyager. Right. And, okay. and now at this point, Frank is out and he is and he's in the, the yellow space suit. He is yes. attaching the device back to this to the ship right 
so my question. So wh- when they fixed the projection and the sound. Yeah. Is that when the movie like jumped back into the second part? Yes. Okay. So here's uh, maybe I, I, I kind of undersold my intermission experience, I guess. Okay. So I noted an hour and 26 minutes when the intermission started. Uh, I have, I recently saw gone with the wind at okay. the theater. I guess the intermission in gone with the wind was maybe five or six minutes. Okay. Ish. This intermission didn't end for 18 minutes. Oh, wow. So. Oh, that's something. That, yeah, because I think it's on the on the <laughs> Blu-ray, it's like three minutes long. Yeah. So, like I said, intermission came up on the screen and it went, and went blank. House lights came up. A couple of people went to the bathroom. And about five or six minutes after the intermission started... I was I I felt like I had to go to the bathroom, and then I said, "Well, I, I can't because it's going to come back any minute now." Yeah. And then ten minutes passed, and in that time, I could like hear the other people in the theater starting to get very restless. Like, yes. What is it taking this so long? What's going on? And I don't know if it was just like a button that the projectionist had to hit, and they would just hadn't, or they were late, or what what happened. Uh, but yeah. The intermission resumed an hour and 44 minutes, so 18 minutes 18, of intermission. Oh, wow. Okay, so both you and I had faulty intermission experiences. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess I just feel like, you know, intermissions aren't a thing anymore, so, you know, A, there, there's no longer a projection that's actually sitting up in that booth. Like, they start the right. movie and they leave. So they're like, what intermission? What do I do now? Uh-huh. It, it was very strange. Yeah. I was... It just, it just kept going on and on and on and on. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Okay, I, I'm kind of. I think. I think I would have taken my intermission experience over yours because at least mine was only five minutes <laughs> long. <laughs> Just some errors in the middle. Like you had to wait 18 minutes. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I. I wish I knew that it. I wish I knew whether or not it was like this is how long we were supposed to do it, or because yeah. Kubrick really it wasn't wants like... you to sit with that last conversation. <laughs> it also. It wasn't like like you said. Your theater had it only showed it twice, right? Yeah. This was like they'd been showing 2001 for an uh, at least four days at this point, twice a day, if not more than twice a day. No excuse. Yeah. <laughs> no excuse. No. Um, but then, yes, like you said, we resume with Frank uh, putting the box back in place. Yeah. Outside. And uh, what do you. <sighs> What what do you feel about this abrupt jump in time relative to how slowly everything else has happened prior? I so I guess I interpret it as Hal being a computer, right? He just makes computative decisions immediately. So mm-hmm. to him, he reads their lips, he sees he's gonna be deactivated. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he's showing self-preservation. Sure. Whether it be for the mission, whether it be for, you know, I, I don't know where his allegiance is. If it's for himself, <laughs> it's for the mission, if it's for discovery. But he says, this can't happen. I'm not going to let these humans interfere. So then he jumps right into murder mode. Yes. Like, like <laughs> there's the only thing between me and this mission are these two humans. So I'm going to mm-hmm. remove them from the equation. Sure. Like, he, he doesn't try and reason with them. Later he does, but he doesn't yeah. try and plead. He's just, like, he jumps right to 
again, being a computer, he's binary. Like, you're with me or you're against me. Yep. And they've gone from being with him to against him, so he goes into action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he... Uh, I, I Like I said, I only wrote down Hal takes out Frank, but yeah. I believe what happens is he exits the pod to put the box back in. Yep. He puts the box back in, and then is not able to get back into the pod. Yeah, you see, while he's outside the pod, you see the pod kind of power up in turn. Right. Like, the pod's in the foreground, uh, Frank's in the background. Yes. And then the next thing you see is Dave, like, on the bridge, and he sees Frank flying by without, (laughs) like, just literally, like, ragdoll flying by. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of... It's a a, a uh, horrifically f- funny image. Yes, just to, to cut right to to Dave seeing that. Yeah, because um, because Dave, Dave's like, what's going on? <laughs> like yeah, something like, obviously what? is not right here. Yes, uh, I made a note here after that of um, segmented zoom to how. Uh, so like a, a I guess a piece by piece zoom in on how. Yes, that's right. Yeah, it, it's not like a, a fluid zoom. It's like they do a shot, they push the camera closer, do a shot, mm-hmm. push the camera closer. Yeah, yeah. Which I, I really liked that. Um, Just I in mean, case it, you didn't know who cut the cord on Frank. Right, right, yeah. right. <laughs> Three three potential characters. One of them just died, yep. and the other one is just shocked that it happened. <laughs> who could it be? Who could it? Be? Uh, <laughs> Uh, so Dave rushes in to get into a different pod to go try to save Frank. Most importantly, without uh, without his um, uh, the uh, helmet. His helmet. Yeah. Or as Hal calls uh, space helmet. Space helmet. Yeah. Uh, I made a note here that when we see him get into the pod, so he gets in the pod. The pods swivel around before they exit the ship. Uh, there's a caution on the back of the pod, which we saw earlier when they both get in it, uh, that says, Caution, Explosive Explosive Bolts. bolts. Yep. Yes. Uh, And it's interesting that Dave says, like, he's still communicating with Hal. He's saying, Swivel the pod, Hal. Like, at this point, Dave does not know what happens. Right. Yeah. He has no reason to not trust Hal besides the unit thing didn't fail. Right. As far as he's concerned, it was a malfunction that happened outside of the spaceship yep. that, you know, Frank made a mistake or misfired or something to that effect. Uh, right. So he jumps in the pod, shoots out, and at the rate at which it looks like Frank was careening into the into space, yeah, it felt like at, watching it this time. I was like, oh, there's no way he can catch him. No, <laughs> like impossible. I saw how fast this thing moves. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and yet he does. <laughs> yeah, the, the the probability there's a little like somehow Frank slows down, which is which also is impossible in space. But yeah, I'm, I'm All also going to yeah, I'm also going to say it's 1968. You know, like <laughs> uh, Kubrick had to guess what the moon looked like because no one had been on the moon yet. So, right, I'll give him a pass here and there. Yeah, he can't be perfect. <laughs> yeah, though he um, tries. Yeah. He certainly does. So Dave catches Frank. Yep. And then cut back to inside the ship. And Kubrick shows us the 
the humans in the cryostasis chambers. Oh yes, as they malfunction, mm-hmm. and you know we watch as like they kind of just like start beeping and like warning lights and you know heart rate monitors and the like. Uh, cut to Hal staring coldly, lifelessly, mm-hmm. <laughs> as he watches them all die. But yeah. like, it, like, not like, not like he's not staring lifelessly or coldly. It's just the light of how it's the same exact light. Yeah, he, but, he never changes. Like it, it's yeah. it's not like, like the light gets brighter or dimmer or they have like little angles on the light to give the eyebrows. It's just it's just this <laughs> red dot of light looking yeah. at you the whole time. The only way we get a visual cue with Hal is whether we're zooming in on him, how much of the screen he's taking up, uh, zooming out at him, and so on yeah. and so forth. Uh, I th- this I feel like, I didn't note it, but it I, I feel like we were really, really close to him in this shot. Um, I think. Yeah, very well could be, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so then we get uh, the most iconic lines of the movie. Yeah. Uh, as So Dave, returning from his successful rescue mission with Frank, uh, is trying to get back onto the ship. And so I took down a sequence of the dialogue, which was, open the pod bay doors, please, Hal. Mm-hmm. And then he says, open the pod bay doors, please, Hal. Hello, Hal, do you read me? Hello, Hal, do you read me? Do you read me, Hal? Do you read me, Hal? Hello, Hal, do you read me? Hello, Hal, do you read me? Do you read me, Hal? Finally, we get affirmative, Dave. I read you. Yes. Oh, man. <laughs> so, it's just this long extended, like, you there? Hello, you there, you there, you there? Hello, hello, hello? I'm here. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not doing what you want me to do, but I am here. I read you. It's like, yes, I'm here. Right. Um, so uh, Hal won't let Dave back in. Uh, well, because they get the other iconic line where he says, "Open the pod bay doors, Hal," and he says, "I cannot do that, Dave." Right. I not I will Dave. not. Not I choose not to. I cannot. I cannot. I feel like that cannot is very telling. Like yes. Hal says, "I have a mission, and your presence ruins it, so I cannot mm-hmm. do that." Cannot. I am incapable of doing this. Correct. Um, he he tells Dave that he could see his lips move. Yeah. Uh, we get shots of the helmet that Dave left inside. Um, Hal locks Dave outside in the pod, and um, I I don't know exactly what I was referring to this, but I made a note here of um, very Asimovian. Okay. Um, Asimov. I don't know why I made that note. Obviously, Isaac Asimov was a very prolific sci-fi writer. Yeah. Um, I don't know what I was referring to. I think. I think just like the the situation of is it like the laws of robots? Yeah, yeah. I think that's right. You know, it's it, you know you think other movies that like harp on those laws far more like iRobot or something. Yeah. You know, robots cannot harm a human. Uh, Robots must do everything they can to save a human unless it would, like, harm a human and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and this was like you know at the end of irobot it's you have this supercomputer that has gotten to the point where sacrifices have to be made to save the human race basically yeah and this is how essentially like i have a mission sacrifices have to be made to complete this mission parallel yeah so I actually looked up the conversation quickly in IMDb. He does not say, I cannot do that. He says, I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. I'm afraid I can't do that. Yeah, so he says, I'm sorry, and then I'm afraid I can't do that. <laughs> and, and that's such, like, again, I, maybe we are nitpicking or parsing this too much. But, like, again, it's that feigning of emotion. Yes. Where he's saying, you know, like, he's still being polite. Like, I'm sorry. I, I'm afraid I can't do that. It's It's like when you... Or like talking to someone in retail and you're like, you know, mm-hmm. like, why, why, why can't I buy this for 20% off? Like, I'm sorry you feel that way, but I can't do that for <laughs> you right now. Yeah, I, I can't give you the employee discount. I'm exactly. Sorry. I'm you sorry know, I like, can't do that. And, you know, one thing it makes always makes me, I, I keep going back to in my mind is just, um, I forget what show it is. It, it's a British show that has uh, effective, like, uh, Android human like oh, robots that, in it is that red dwarf yeah. no it's more okay. recent than that it, uh, it might even be called like humans or something but um in it the the principal non-human characters are like an irobot they're all all these robots are programmed to not have emotion to pr- yeah. just follow orders and as is as they are in this show except for some of the main characters are robots that have emotions and yet one of them is stuck in a position of basically housemaid to this family where she's not she has to hide the fact that she actually has emotions and once or twice she slips up and like says something that's like oh i'm happy or sad or this upsets me or whatnot and the human character responds like well i don't think i thought you couldn't feel such a thing yeah and her response is oh, I'm just saying it in terms that make you feel more comfortable because that's what you expect, sort of a thing. Like, this is, I'm saying things that you want to hear. Right. Like, I'm using terminology that you're familiar with so that it won't alienate you from me even more, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. And I don't know how much that necessarily applies to Hal in this instance, but I think there's at least a little of that, you know, using this, you know, he thinks and he, he feels and he's appreciative and he, he respects this sketch or whatever, what have you, uh, just kind of like kind of, you know, appealing to Dave and Frank's uh, humanistic side of like, mm-hmm. oh, this, you know, if they think I'm a person, if they think I have feelings, then they might not want to disconnect me sort of a thing. Yeah, so if I can try and connect with them on an emotional level, mm-hmm. they'll maybe see me as more than just a computer. Right. It won't be disconnecting, it will be killing, and maybe they won't be okay with that. Yeah. Right. So so then we get, uh, so we have this standoff, where Hal's not going to open the doors, and Dave does not have his helmet. And so uh, he's going for the emergency airlock. Yep. Which is kind of a risk because he has no helmet. So uh, he also has to get rid of Frank, unfortunately. Um, yeah, does he just like let Frank go? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Frank, he lets Frank go. 
which is a shame. You know, the only reason he was out there in the first place was because of Frank, and he has to get rid of Frank to have any chance of getting back onto the spaceship. Yeah. So here, uh, so he he turns the pot around so that the top of it is pressed up against as best he can the airlock. Yep. And he can open it from the outside. And uh, what's going to... So essentially, the sequence of events is the airlock opens, rush of air leaving the airlock mm-hmm. into space, and ha- uh, Dave uh, being thrust into the airlock uh, at the opposite in the opposite direction, and uh, he has to, like... Um, just like open it up and like close the door so that he can like stabilize the air pressure. Yeah. 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 He he needs to close. He needs to get into the airlock, close the door of the airlock to space. And then assuming at that point, he's now safe and can open the airlock to get into the rest of the build into the ship. Right. So here is the only nitpicky question I had watching this movie. Why can't Hal prevent this from happening? If he has complete control over the space station, why can't he prevent this? Like, why can't he just shut down the airlock from even opening? So it looks like um, it looks like Dave mechanically opens the airlock on the outside. Right. Right. He, so th- th- that's you know I, I don't know if I mean I'm not sure how much control Hal like I don't know if if how much control Hal sorry how much control Hal has over the mechanical aspects of the ship versus hmm. the like subroutines and systems of the ship. Hmm. So like, can he open, I mean, obviously there's open the pod bay door, which how has control of that, but are there right. other doors that are just like have mechanical switches that you can physically open? I, I mean, I guess I would assume that they would build a ship that had, you know, uh, some safety devices in case your computer did fail. <laughs> You would, yeah, you would assume. <laughs> but you're, you're right. Like, possibly Hal could prevent this from happening. If you, yeah. depending on how how much control he has of the ship, All right? If he can control every screw and widget on the ship, then yeah, there's no way. <laughs> right. Um, but alas, uh, that's far less entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> if, if Dave just dies out in the space this time. Yeah, I mean, like Hal's a compelling character, but I want to spend a whole movie with him. <laughs> Right. Uh, so, uh, successful. Dave gets in. Uh, he shuts the door. And Hal watches him enter the airlock. And uh, I made a note here that Hal feels entitled. Mm-hmm. Is, um... Well, so this is the point where Hal starts bargaining. Where he right. says things like, I'm sorry, Dave. Um, it won't happen again. Let's put this yeah. behind us. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and what I love about this point, I don't know if Dave even talks. Like, I think you just have, you just have the sound of 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 his. He has got the helmet on at this point. Like, even if he doesn't need the helmet on, he's like, I'm not playing this game anymore. Right, right. Um, so he's got the helmet on. Uh, you hear the breathing. You hear Hal starting to to like you know rationalize with yeah. with Dave. 
And at this point, the camera starts becoming much more handheld, and it's following. I noted that. Yep. Yes. There, there, there's yep. even that great one where he like walks by the camera and starts climbing a ladder, and then the <sighs> camera like goes up into the little like ladder shaft, and you're you're staring mm-hmm. at his feet as he's. I don't know. It's just so. <laughs> this part feels very visceral. Like you're just you're with Dave as he's on this determined march through the ship to deactivate Hal. Right. Uh, some of the quotes I took down from Hal are, I feel much better now. I feel much better now. Yep. yep. <laughs> like I was um, feeling bad before. Yes. Uh, I made a note here that it's, he attributes what happened as a poor decision, not a yes. mistake that he made. Uh, quoted as having said, greatest enthusiasm and confidence in the mission. Uh, he begs Dave to stop. He says, I'm afraid. I'm afraid, Dave. Uh, we watch Dave eventually enter this, this like, um, it's like a, it's like a server room. Yeah. But he's like crawling on his hands and knees to get to the other end of it, mm-hmm. which is where, uh, you can, he can disconnect Hal. And, uh, he, it's a, it's a long process. <laughs> it's not flipping a switch. No, no he, like there's there's I don't know dozens of these little discs yeah. in the wall, and he is slowly turning. Like I think turning a key to deactivate each one. Yep, he has to and, pull each one out. And... Yep, and this whole time Hal's still begging, yep. but his voice is getting deeper. Like and... like he's dying. Um, and all you hear is Dave breathing. Yeah. 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 And then he goes into the. Then he starts like he goes back into his opening like welcome statement. Yeah. So I took down most of that, if not all of it. Um, Good afternoon, gentlemen. I am a HAL nine thousand computer. I became operational at the plant at the plant in Illinois on January twelfth, nineteen ninety two. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, then uh, the voice is distorted. Uh, you hear. Uh, he was taught to sing a song and he starts singing Daisy Daisy and it is one of the most terrifying things yeah ever. uh it's it's completely the audio is completely distorted and you've got like Hal sing, singing I'm half crazy <laughs> which <laughs> is just so perfect uh of a just end moment for a character yeah perfect death scene and you can't even see him. I don't, I don't even know if he has a light. His light is in this room, even. I, do they show at some point a HAL unit with the light, like the red light going out, or am I just imagining that? <sighs> see, you say that, and I was thinking that, but I don't know that we even see it. Yeah, it, it, because it's so effective that you're just imagining that's what's happening. It's like there's that red light and it's gone. But I, I'd honest, I mean, I saw this a week and a half ago, and I can't tell yeah. you. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know that we see that or not. Yeah. Um, but finally, finally, Dave pulls out enough discs or all the discs or whatever. And how? Gone. Yep. Gone. And then yeah. we see Floyd. And, and so this is this is weird. This is like the trope of turn the TV on and it's to the exact news report you need. Yes, yes. Because it's right. Simul, like, the moment Hal is disconnected, this message comes up. But I mm-hmm. don't think the two events are connected. Right. I think it's just yeah. economy of time at this point. Well, 
I think that I think that this is the message that is supposed either maybe it's the message that like played at the beginning of the mission or it felt like a message that was supposed to be played once the mission was completed and once they got to Jupiter. Yeah, um, yes, I, I think it's the latter. It's like once they get within a certain distance because yeah, Hallen or no, sorry, Dave and um, Dave and Frank don't know what the mission is. Right, they're just and, heading to Jupiter. Right, and they also make a note of saying that the other three astronauts were placed on the ship already in stasis. So yes. Dave and Frank have had no interaction with the their, their other teammates. Right. Okay, yeah. So so we see Floyd again. Nice. Welcome yeah. back, Floyd. Yeah. Uh, it's like, talks... like the only callback you get in this entire movie. <laughs> yeah. So he t- references the monolith that he mm-hmm. saw personally. Um, he mentions that it was aimed at Jupiter. Yep. And that is... Two hours. We are two hours and eleven minutes in when you factor in an eighteen-minute transmission. <laughs> uh, so, um, and so this is now shifting into the final stage of the movie. Yeah, as we have reached Jupiter, and now I, I hesitate to say that everything up until this point has been fairly like grounded, <laughs> but. Compared to this last sequence, it is incredibly grounded and wouldn't even classify as science fiction on that same scale. No. In a way. So Kubrick worked very hard to make all the mechanics of space flight and gravity realistic. That's why he had centrifuges and, you know, Velcro yes. shoes. Because, like, he, he wanted to make, like, even though this is science fiction, I want it to be as plausible and believable as possible. Yes. Right? So th- there's no warp drive. Like, they're traveling at thruster speed mm-hmm. you know but you're right. right up until this point it's all been this could happen yes given our current human trajectory mm-hmm. and so we see jupiter uh-huh and then over top of jupiter is appears the monolith there it is <laughs> yep in space in space so so this kind of leads me again to thinking that it is the not a monolith in that how did it get there is it either a that this is just a monolith that has always been in space and coincidentally is now right here at this moment in time or is this the monolith that we saw on the moon that has now traveled this distance maybe even concurrently with the spaceship to get to Jupiter, to f- get closer to this, you know, whatever signal is going on. Yeah. I I have trouble arguing that there's only one monolith. Okay. And and so and here's here's my, my reason, and this kind of gets into the end of the movie. Um, sure. I believe this is a movie about aliens. Right. Right. That's what's going on. Aliens are placing these monoliths. So mm-hmm. the the monolith that the apes find at the beginning. It's plausible that aliens can place that and then they can remove it because sure. the apes aren't going to have cognition. Oh, these are an alien did this, yeah. right? The monolith that's buried in the moon, again, not knowing how much time has passed between the ape stuff and the moon stuff. This has been mm-hmm. there for four million years. So at some sure. point, that monolith was buried. Um, it, it could be the same monolith as the first one, but 
if it was buried by aliens and then it was retrieved by the same beings and put in Jupiter, wouldn't the humans somehow be aware that their monolith is missing? Or wouldn't they have observed, like, a spaceship show up and take the monolith? Well, uh, that presupposes that the aliens use a spaceship. That's true. But uh, you would, ass- at the very least, they would know that it was not there anymore. Correct. Like Whether or not they would see the actual act of re- removing it, I don't yeah. know. But they would at least know it's not there. Sure. I um, guess I-, I always thought there was multiple monoliths. It very well could be. Yeah. Very well could be. Uh, we don't ever get a scene that's like the monolith's gone, or you know, we never cut back go. to you know, we never yeah. cut back to these characters that we saw in the past to see like, well, what happened to them? Uh, yeah. So we're not sure necessarily whether it's that that same one was then projected into space somehow, or 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 whether or not it was just. They're still, you know, trying to figure out that monolith, and now we have a different one that's, you know, interacting with Dave. Yeah. So, uh, I think, I believe uh, the monolith is is spinning at some rate. Yeah, it's kind of spitting through space. Yeah, and, you know, as it's twisting, you know, we're seeing the reflection of, of... the light off of the planets and, and the monolith. It's just beautiful imagery mm-hmm. uh, that is just out, out astounding to see oh. and having come out so long ago. Aren't the planets all in line also? Uh, it Eventually. Yeah. Okay. So, bef- so we get, we build our way up to that. So we get to, um, there's a vocalization behind it again. That's crescendoing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get, all these different plant beautiful shots of the planets we see uh then we see the pod released from the spaceship and then we get the monolith lining up with the planets behind it yes that's right and disappearing and then we take a turn (laughs) so so then we get so dave is in this pod yep and uh we start purple lights, sequences of beautiful and haunting images. Yep. A lot of things being thrown at Dave and, and coming across Dave's face and, and across the screen. Uh, I noted Interstellar, which is obviously taking this. Yes. Um, I would also equate it to the mind-bending sequence in Doctor Strange. Uh, okay. I also made a note of Tron. Uh, contact also yeah it's 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 everywhere you know it's a very popular sequence so i for for this sequence because this is my like i get giddy with anticipation when the stargate sequence is going to happen because it's amazing right it's it's like you're running down this hallway that has this infinite point ahead of you Mm-hmm. And there's all these psychedelic colors streaking past you, right? I mean, it's it's a single point focus. Yes. Um, so I sat, I like the theater I went to. You can choose your own seats in advance, which I love. And mm-hmm. I chose seats a little closer to the screen than I normally would sit because I knew that for this sequence, I wanted my complete field of vision to okay. be of the Stargate. And as that scene was happening my brain was tricked into thinking I was actually moving forward at times. Oh, wow. But like, I could, like, like there was moments where I felt like I was actually propelled forward. It was just because like, in. 
yeah, all my brain could see was <laughs> these lights rushing by. So mm-hmm. it's like, well, you're sitting still, but you're, my eyes tell me something else is going on. And it was, it was exactly what I wanted it to be. I was oh, so that's happy. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fantastic kind of forced optical illusion situation. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Like I could watch that for maybe 20 minutes, half an hour, and I would just never get bored of it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's such a because you know it, it's not as though the movie is devoid of color. You know, the entire ape sequence it's mostly during the daytime, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of browns and reds in that sequence. Uh, and you know, we mentioned you mentioned Frank's suit. I think is yellow, and Dave's is red or orange. Red. Yep. Uh, so you know we've had color it's not like this is a black and white movie but then just the overwhelming just presence of so many colors just you know basically just crashing into your eyes at, at such a fast rate and they're so bright and vivid like these are like just bright yellow and purple and green mm-hmm. and they're mm-hmm. kind of swirling together in these geometric patterns yep it's crazy yes oh man uh, we get to see this coming at Dave. We get to see this hitting Dave and, and mm-hmm. his face reacting to it. I, um, I love those contorted shots of his face that they cut to. Yes. yes. Where, like, it's almost like he's in horror and awe at the same time. Mm-hmm. It, it reminded me of uh, sometimes you get those those pictures of the, like a group of people in a haunted house when the light flashes for like half a second. Yes. And like everybody's in this weird pose that they would never normally be in and like, Oh, I never did that. But like, we see it. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Yeah. That, that's what it was like. Oh my goodness. It's like, we're just getting these brief frames of, you know, him mid contortion, mid expression. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's very visceral. And, and, and so... I, I love like the, the nebulas that are forming. Like there's like these just clouds of, debris that are slowly forming into star patterns or whatever and and, and right mm-hmm. that's, that's something that interstellar borrowed heavily yes. from very heavily yeah and yeah. and the other crazy thing is that entire sequence is all practical effects like there is no cgi back in 1968 <laughs> oh man like it's they they built special camera rigs and special like you know color palettes and used special film with uh, you know this uh, film slowed down just to get these effects, so, and it's it's crazy like how much work was put into it, which could now be a window screensaver. Yes, I, that that's it's it's kind of frustrating that that things have come so far already. Yeah, but it's it's still such an achievement such an achievement it's incredible and it's just the the fact that he found people that were that talented and could bring his vision or he could collaborate with them and make this convincing vision is it's it's mind-blowing i mean the the whole that last 20 minutes just blows my mind yes so i noted let's see uh red monkey is is shown at a red monkey is shown at one point oh really Um, i think so and one of i don't know i'm i noted red monkey Okay, interesting. I assume that means I saw one in the sequencing of images. Uh, I know I, I may said poetry in motion. Mm-hmm. Uh, cube shapes at one point. Yeah, those floating cubes spiraling through the air. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And then Canyon. We go into a, a canyon, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. It's like these helicopter shots of Utah. Right. But but the color correction is just, is crazy and saturated. So, like, instead of it being, you know, red canyon with black shadows, it's like green canyon with purple shadows. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's disorienting. Yes. Because it, it looks Earth-like, but the mm-hmm. color is completely wrong. Right. And so finally, so we get this all these sequences, and uh, we end up uh, kind of just a just a hard cut to mm-hmm. the pod uh, just being in a room, and not just a room, not but just like, any room. It's like a. I, it's all like all a, I can think of is like Barry Lyndon, but basically it's like a period piece uh, Victorian room. Exactly. But but it's the the floor, the walls, the ceiling are all light. It's all white light. Yes. <clears throat> you so, can't see like the corners of the walls. You can't see it, it just it kind of exists. Yeah, you, you have this beautiful way. Victorian or, you know, French bedding and tables on this floor of like white disco lights. Right. <laughs> and and now it's you're we're in this period of of the sequence where you blink and you're going to miss something very yes. pivotal. So I'm sure I missed a lot of stuff in in writing down a couple of notes. Um, so Dave's pod is in the room. Correct. We then see an older Dave, who I think is in the bed. No, oh no, 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 no. We, we, no. So Dave pods is in the room. Right. The camera's in the pod. So we, you think like you're Dave looking out, and, and then, then all older of a sudden Dave you see, walks into the room. Well, no, you just it just cuts to it. You just see an older Dave. It, it's almost like it's like a, a quick cut, and there's an older Dave standing outside the pod in the space suit. Oh, so. right, right, right. And then and there's no pod. There's no pod, yes. and it he's I think he's walking around, or he might be, he might hear something in the bathroom. Like, the crazy part of the sequence is it seems like Dave is watching himself age. Yes. Like every time you have what you think is a point of view shot, then an older Dave is walks into frame somehow. Yes. Uh... I, oh no, that, that's right. I think he, I think he, in this space, he walks into the bathroom and then the camera kind of like pans. He hears something. The camera pans out. You think it's a point of view shot and there's, there's an even older Dave, Dave in a bathrobe eating dinner at a table. Right. So and, I said, yeah. man eating, oldest Dave, turns around, and when the camera turns, there's no one standing there. So it's just this new, even older Dave. That's all there is. That's right. He looks back at the bathroom where younger Dave should be, and there's no one there. Yeah. I made yeah. a note that, you know, this is, of everything that has been shown in this movie... What the the scenery that we have now, despite its aesthetic appeal, is the most normal thing. Yeah, it's chairs, it's tables. There's a bed. We're in a house. We're not mm-hmm. in space necessarily, um, and yet this is the most alien place I have felt we've been in in the whole movie. Because it seems like it seems almost like a zoo. Like, we're trying yeah. to mimic what humans like. Like, oh, you guys like beds and 
bathrooms and sinks and tables. So he- here's everything you like. Mm-hmm. Where I imagine, like, you take a lion and you put it in the zoo, and they're like, oh, yeah, there's some rock, there's a grass, you have those things. And the lion's <laughs> like, well, this isn't what my house looks like at all. <laughs> right. Um, so, uh, oldest Dave turns around He's in, in, while he's eating. There's nobody there. He resumes eating. Uh, he breaks a glass. Yep. And then you can hear the breathing again. He brings the breathing back. Yes. And we see ancient, I, I labeled ancient Dave, yeah. <laughs> who is now in bed. And he is... We could say it's his deathbed, right? Yeah, you could. Yeah. Um, and so he, I don't know if he sits up at all, but he points. He raises toward, a bony finger. He raises a bony finger towards the end of the bed, and we turn and see the monolith. Boom. Just there sitting at the foot of his bed, oh, like this huge imposing black monolith. Geez. It's it's really something. Yep. <laughs> uh, and so we get the day uh, the monolith, and then we get baby Dave, and the, the score the, the, swells. The music comes back. Yep. There's drums pounding, and baby Dave is watching the earth, and sort of floats into the frame as and and like at the earth and then slowly turns to make eye contact with the camera Mm -hmm. and and he's almost like a baby in utero like this baby sort of in that fetal position it's in a sack of some sort yeah it looks like it's in a womb yes exactly yeah so maybe baby dave is too progressed of a term but Suffice I think say, star baby is the accepted term for that. Star baby. Yeah. Star baby. Or star child. Star child. Correct. Um, yeah. So that's two hours and 35 minutes. Uh, probably approximately two hours and 23 minutes if the intermission is the appropriate length. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it. It's over. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, so it it, it just ends like that's the movie. Yeah. So it's not, so none of this. So if we're to be as, as literal as the movie allows us to be, none of the movie save for assuming the, the, the ape sequence in the beginning takes place on earth. Yeah. Once the apes, have the monolith and once they do their thing we are in a spaceship with uh with floyd we are in on the moon with floyd we then are on a different spaceship with dave and frank and hal who end up in jupiter we are in some otherworldly space as Mm -hmm. dave goes through super aging processes and then we are now observing the earth which is where we started at the very beginning of the movie yes a kind lot of full circles. circles. Yeah. A lot of full circles involved in this movie. I, I, I listening to Zach and James and Zach of the Cinerealist podcast. One of their more recent episodes, they discussed the um, whether or not people stay till the very end of the credits. They let all the credits roll. Oh yeah. Um, or you know, people who like leave. Uh, immediately as soon as they know that the movie's over 
even before any potential like Marvel end credit shenanigans could take place or whatever. Yeah. And Zach is, at, at least claims to be a proponent of always staying to the very end. Uh, I, I, I would say I, he's, I, an, he's an often stays to the very end. Okay, often stays to the very end. Yeah. Uh, so I am not necessarily that person. Uh, I would say I r- rarely stay to the very end, um, which has more to do with my uh, transportation needs than anything else. Mm-hmm. But uh, this one, like just listening to that score come back as the credits rolled and it just, you know, it, it's just, it's one of those movies and, and most Kubrick's are where you just have to, you have to soak that, this movie in uh, or uh, you won't, it just, it just, it doesn't digest at all. No, no, it's a movie where it doesn't, doesn't tell you any answers. It doesn't. It just gives you all this information, and then you need to decide, um, what does that mean to me? So, right, it's a movie where you're gonna sit there, if it's really affecting you and it really sunk sinks in, you're gonna sit there and just kind of let that music play, let those credits roll, and you're thinking, what did I just watch? Mm-hmm. So. So you're in the theater. You've yeah. just seen your favorite movie of all time for the first time yeah. in a movie theater. Uh, what was it? You know, what, you said there were like 15 other people there. You know, did they kind of get up and leave? Were other people staying to sit with you and and kind of feel of this movie out? You know, the the majority of other people in the theater stayed. They just kind of sat through the whole credits. Very nice. Um, I believe the same I, for me. I loved the there's two guys in front of me, um, which I was like huge theater and they sit right in front of me, which is fine. And they were not buying into the movie. And that kind of pissed me off a little bit. How do you mean? Like they especially towards those last 20 minutes, you could tell that they were like, what is going on? Uh, like mm-hmm. like when, when Hal, the reason the space helmet thing jumped out at me is when Hal said, you know, like without your space helmet, Dave, you can't come back in. Like they snickered at the word space helmets like, oh, isn't that funny? <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, like, like I just felt like they were not in it. And then at the end, there's this baby floating on screen and it kind of the movie ends. And the first thing I hear is what? <laughs> and part of me is like, this is like a special showing of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Who just randomly shows up to this movie? Like, I kind of figured that everyone there is probably has the same level of love of this movie as I do. Sure, sure. So I, I just couldn't understand how these guys could be at this movie and not be prepared to enjoy it. That's, uh, I think that's fair. I think, I mean, I don't know. I, I've definitely it's obviously different when it's a newer movie and, and it has an ending that kind of makes you really question like, well, why would you end this? How would you cut away from this at the very last second? Or, or, you know, I've seen, uh, I think this happened when I saw first reformed a few months ago. Uh, a lot of the people in the theater were like, wait, that's it. Like what? They had that reaction. And so, but yeah, for a movie 50 years old that is very well renowned that most people even if you haven't seen it, you have a pretty good understanding of some of the elements involved in it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's and it's, you know, 
it comes completely attached to Kubrick's name. <laughs> you know, yeah, I think I, that's very within the scope of what he is known for. Oh yeah, like this is his best known movie, if not top three. Yeah, for sure. So, but re- regardless of these guys, though, like I still was giddy just to be in this theater watching this movie on the big screen yeah Uh, it's something that i attempted to do in the year i think 2001 there was a re-release the the actual year 2001 Mm -hmm. and this was back in the days where you had to check movie times in the newspaper oh sure and i must have screwed up because i I read the newspaper (sighs) i said oh it's like tonight at seven o'clock um this is actually the the first date I was I took my now wife on. I've probably told the story like a million times on podcasts now, but I'll just, so <laughs> anyway, so it's our first date, and I'm gonna take her to 2001: A Space Odyssey because I'm a super cool 19 year old, you know. Sure are. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, so we get to the theater, and I'm like, yeah, one for 2001: A Space Odyssey, and and the clerk looks at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> so I somehow I screwed up reading the newspaper. Do you- do you know what you messed up? Like I, wrong you theater, know, wrong time. I, at at the moment, I was embarrassed because I, here I am I'm with this girl on my first dates, and I'm like, "Yeah, we're gonna go see this movie. It's my favorite movie. You're gonna love it. I'm excited to see on the on the big screen." And all of a sudden, I, like I realized that a my date's going off the rails. B, <laughs> I can't see my favorite movie on the big screen. So I'm like, "Oh, Men in Black 2 then." Oh boy, step down. Yeah, but you know, now we're married and have a child, so it all worked out in my favor in the long run. Yeah. That's so, great. but right after an aborted attempt to see this movie <laughs> 16, 17 years ago in the big screen, um, the fact that it actually happened this time, even though the intermission almost screwed the whole thing up. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, no, you can't do this to me. Um, I was <laughs> so pleased to see it on the big screen, and and it's it's a it, it is a theater movie. Like when you have the sound and you have that enormous movie screen in front of you you're sitting as close as you can bear it's Mm -hmm. it's i mean it's it's a perfect experience yes it's It's how this movie should be seen it's true uh you know it's it's not yeah i mentioned having seen gone with the wind earlier uh you know i've been trying to see more you know classic movies that keep coming up at my local theaters to just get that experience of seeing them and uh, the other one I, I know I remember off the top of my head was Wizard of Oz, mm-hmm. and both Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind, they're great movies. Having seen them in the theater, having seen them on a big screen, and in those showings, it was a packed audience. Like I'm sure, yeah, three hundred people watching these movies. Uh, both experiences uh, detracted from my recollection of the films from when I had seen them previously. Okay. They, I don't know, maybe it's just like the 1930s, you know, that's so long ago. And, you know, some things that even having seen it like five, six years ago from today, it just it have, you know, I've seen who knows how, three, four thousand movies in that time span. Yeah. So I have so many more references now to place them at. And whatever, whatever the case may be, like, I came back to my spreadsheet and both of those movies got a lower score than they had going in. L- lower as in worse. Yes. Okay. Uh, so, you know, that was 
briefly in the back of my mind when I when the movies when 2001 started. I was yeah. like, this has happened twice already. Uh, that that's a big concern. You know, I really mm-hmm. like 2001. It's still on my top 300 movies of all time. But at the time, I was like, oh man, I don't want to go into this and like not have the best experience. And, yeah. And, you know, but. I came out of it, I definitely feel, and and so, you know, we, we kind of touched on this, like, kind of explaining, like, what it is and what are the monoliths and, and aliens and so forth. And I really came out of it, I do feel, I feel like the Floyd sequence, uh, my f- initial reaction as I watched it mm-hmm. was, like, this is a down part of the movie. This is... Oh, yeah. Definitely not anywhere close to the heights of the apes or the Hal sequence. But no. having talked about it now and like thought about it longer, I do appreciate it for a couple of different things than I did originally. But this ending, so this ending, I, uh, I, I, I find it difficult to wrap my head around, okay. as I'm sure many people do. Yeah, <laughs> I don't feel alone in that feeling, but. You know, one of the first things I did, I came, I went home and like immediately I was like, all right, explain this to me. What, what are the theories? What are some of the Uh explanations? What does this mean? How does this connect to what I've been seeing? What happened in the previous parts of this movie? And, you know, there isn't a definite answer. I think there's even like quotes from Kubrick who like didn't really answer the question, but was like, kind of like, this is the idea behind things and like the this is me pulling the sheet uh, back kind of. Yeah. Uh, well, but and not I think, answering it. I think Kubrick even said, like he's been asked, like, what does it mean? And I think he's even said, well, you know, like I don't completely know myself. And if I was to tell you what I think it means, that, that ruins the experience for the viewer. Like sure. he really wanted the viewer to interpret it how they saw fit. Right. Which could be a cop out way of saying, Oh, I don't know what it's about, but <laughs> I think I think it's a movie where he leaves both enough breadcrumbs and enough things open where you really can find your own answer through the you know as you parse your way through. Right, and so you mentioned that for you at least, and I'm yeah. sure, and I, I definitely have seen this explanation um, offered up as well. Just that the obel- or that the monoliths were. The monolith slash monoliths were mm-hmm. placed by aliens. Yeah, and and this is a bit because I've read the book also, and Arthur C. Clarke kind of fleshes it out a little bit more. Right. So, like at, at this point, when I watch the movie, I'm also using book background knowledge. <laughs> yes. Right, but yeah, my kind of my interpretation. This is probably the most direct interpretation, which I'm okay with. <laughs> is that the like there's benevolent aliens beings whatever like i don't know if, you know they're never shown I don't, I don't even know if they are corporeal but there's something out there mm-hmm. and they leave these monoliths on you know underdeveloped worlds to kind of give evolution a kick in the pants okay right so so first there's the monolith that the apes find and that's where they discover tools yes uh, and, and we see a direct, like, we see a direct, they touch the monolith, they learn how to use tools. Mm-hmm. Then the next monolith is buried on the moon because these are spacefaring aliens. So they say, okay, great, now we, we've got, we've started these apes on this path to being humans. Once humans discover space travel, they will f- discover the moon, or they will it, it, land on the moon, they will find our next monolith, they'll 
you know, unearth it, yes. and then it's be solar activated, and that'll send them to the next waypoint. So, like, the the moon uh, monolith is sort of a like a marker. Like, we know that they've gotten this far in their evolution once they find this. I could even you know extrapolate out a little bit that. And they don't say this or show yeah. this necessarily, but I would hazard a, a guess that having found that monolith, you know, we talked about the 18-month period between that monolith and when we jumped to Dave and Frank and Hal. Yeah. Uh, it's very possible that they didn't even have the technology to go to Jupiter. Or or AI or anything like that. Right. And it's, Oh, no, they did have AI because they said that Hal was built in 1990 whatever. Yeah. But right, maybe they didn't have the technology to get to Jupiter. Right. So like that could have been, you know, oh, now we know how to do long space travel with cryostasis and, and Exactly. Something. Yeah. So there's that. And then that the final monolith, that's mm-hmm. sort of the that's the Stargate one that transports Dave. He he's now the chosen one. Yes. He gets to go to the special hotel. Yeah. <laughs> special then, hotel gets reborn as the next step in evolution being this star child what is a star child i have no idea like is he now one of the aliens is do all humans become what he is i i don't know yes but i think that's they sort of see that as the next step of evolution right so he ends up uh because like the last shot is kind of him as the star child drifting toward earth Correct. So uh, to potentially fill in that blank, you know, he goes back to Earth and his uh, um, uh, just just being uh, inserted into the human population and, and human society will forever change their view of life. Because yes. of his drastic difference from what they know. Correct. And who knows what will come of this. And this may sound silly, um, but I always like envision that the star child is the size of the Earth. Just because like the star child is super close to the camera and the Earth is kind of in the background. Mm-hmm. So they look to be of the same size. It's like, man, yeah. that's a giant baby out there. <laughs> but obviously it's not. Right. <laughs> I mean, it could be, and that'd be ridiculous if, like, this enormous baby lands on Earth. <laughs> I mean, you never know. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I guess they, they did, there is the sequel, 2010. I don't remember any giant babies walking around on that one, so. Yeah, that's a, that's a movie. I, you know, so I haven't seen 2010 since I was a kid because, like, I saw 2001. I was my mind was blown, and yeah. like when you're a kid, you find there's more, like other oh, sequels. You just devour those two. Mm-hmm. Um, all I remember from 2010 is that it's Roy Scheider. Yeah, so I saw and, it. Okay, probably recently. I, I guess, I'm guessing more recently than you. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I haven't seen it in like I don't know 20, 30, like. <laughs> 25 years or something like that. All right. It was two and a half years ago for me. Okay. And honestly, I probably know, remember about as much as you do, but looking at like a brief synopsis, it seems kind of like, uh, basically just trying to answer the questions, right? Yeah. So it, it revolves around, uh, the Russians and the Americans who are both trying to go to Jupiter to investigate the third monolith that Dave mm-hmm. got to, and 
so even in this synopsis, it says uh, the black monolith, parent- parenthetical, similar to the one found in lunar crater Clavius. So oh, okay. not the same monolith. So similar. Interesting. Similar, though. So it might even be different shape, different size. Um, I, I just remember at the end, there's like 50 monoliths floating out in, the, in space. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, the the discovery is still orbiting around Jupiter, around Io, and is about to crash into Io. Yeah. The Americans can't get there in time, but the Russians can. But only the Americans know how to awaken the HAL 9000. So they have to like join up forces and it just basically is the shows these people trying to answer the questions. Why did the HAL act so strange? Why did it kill four of the five people? What happened to Mm -hmm. Dave? Da, 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 da. Uh, So, which is nice, but like it's answering questions that we don't need answered. Or questions that you can answer for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's filling in the holes that aren't really there. And the questions that we really do have, like, you know, maybe if this, if this is a, you know, we never really know like, well, what happens when Dave baby star child lands on earth again? Yeah. And just throw up your hands. I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah. You know, and, and maybe the, and I'm sure that would be an incredibly difficult movie to make because uh, you don't want to, do the wrong thing or, or upset the wrong person. You probably can't, you're not going to please most people with whatever you answer that question with. So, and Cooper doesn't seem like a kind of guy who would make sequels. No. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, it is. It's a great movie. I, it, I love it's, it. I, I agree. It is a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's one of the best the, movies. The greatest movie? Question mark. <laughs> question yes. mark. Um, in my opinion, yeah, uh, you're not alone in that opinion. No, I'm sure. Uh, that being said, uh, we're kind of I don't know. We we talked through pretty much every plot point throughout the movie, yeah. uh, and then some. You know, anything else you want to add about it? Uh, you know, this is a movie where. I will still watch it annually. Mm-hmm. And if it's back in the theaters at some point, I will happily go back and see it again in the theater. Like I, for the foreseeable future, I cannot see myself tiring of this movie and I don't can't see it as I move. I need to put on the shelf for a while. Like I can just watch it and enjoy it and just absorb it all. <laughs> and like, like you're right. Even this time around, I kind of forgot about once Floyd lands, he goes through customs, right? Like, oh, yeah, that's right. There's this little customs, you know. <laughs> like, pretty much the entire movie, I can tell you what happens, mm-hmm. like, scene by scene. But there's still a little ones here and there, which I forget about. Sure. And it's it's fun watching again and seeing those little things. Or, like, watching, you know, like, noticing this time around that both Dave and Frank are on their separate iPads watching the same news report eating food. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, oh, man, that's, you know, uh, did I notice that last time? I don't know, but it stuck with me this time. Right. That's, I mean, that's that's kind of the hallmark of, of the best, your best movie. Yeah. You know, I think everyone's favorite movie is, and maybe more than just their favorite, you know, some you know, top 10, so, so on and so forth. 
you know, you, you rewatch so this movie over and over and over again, you know, every time you're like, man, I could recite the screenplay down to yeah. the directions and you watch it. And there's that one thing that that time you didn't see. And every single time you will find that. Yeah. It, it could be something as like a camera trick or an angle or a swivel, mm-hmm. but something that just jumps out of you that second time or third time or eighth time. Yeah. It, it, it you know, it may be, a physical thing it may be a connection you didn't draw or Mm -hmm. a reference or a callback or you know imagery that you know didn't necessarily you you weren't in the right headspace for or you didn't have the reference point to to draw that connection yeah but like i forgot it was floyd that pops up in the message right after hal is disconnected right like i knew there was a message like oh yeah floyd okay he's back (laughs) yeah what do you know so yeah. Okay, so so my final question for you then is, okay. you said that Gone with the Wind, Wizard of Oz, their scores got worse after you saw them in the theater. Right. What happened to 2001's score after you saw it in the theater? 2001 stayed the same. So, okay. Like I had said, there were many elements of it that I did not remember, uh, or maybe even willfully forgot. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, I still, even now you know, reading all the explanations have difficulty wrapping my mind around the ending and what it could mean. And, you know, something that 50 years from now may continue to keep me up at night. Yeah. But uh, even, but, you know, for every element of this movie that may have been somewhat depressed relative to where I thought it was, there were as many elements, if not more that were elevated based yeah. on my memory you know the just the, the technique the technical elements and the the attention to detail the the camera work the visuals the you know noticing now which i definitely wasn't aware of at the, the first time i saw it how you know like i drawing not the, a computer screen <laughs> yeah that and like drawing the parallels between like this movie and all these other sci-fi movies that came mm-hmm. after it uh you know getting that you know eardrum pounding score in my you know all around me uh that i definitely didn't have coming out of computer speakers uh all these different elements and it just really it it made it so much more so much more of an experience oh completely definitely uh just absolutely fascinating and you know i i don't know i i'm not I'm all, I'm not I don't have the proclivity of wanting to watch movies over and over and over again. Okay. Uh I would much rather watch a new movie, but there's something to be said for a film like 2001 which, you know, as, as I mentioned, it's not my favorite movie of all time. It's it's up there, but uh it it certainly supersedes a bunch of movies above it as yeah. far as something that i would want to revisit because it has so many hidden elements so many secrets to it that it deserves that additional attention and additional uh focus yeah i mean the fact that kubrick puts so much attention to detail <laughs> in the movie that you can just look anywhere on screen and see something mm-hmm. there, there there's there's no unused space whatsoever right Right. So you're saying you'd recommend it then? 
Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Definite recommend. Um, uh, to be to be precise, it has a ninety-two out of a hundred for me. Nice. Um, which puts it at where is he? Which makes it my second favorite Kubrick movie, behind Doctor Strange Love. Doctor Strange, and Doctor Strange Love is many people's favorite Kubrick movie. Sure. So sure. that's yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's it, you know it, it could there's there's four points separating them, but like. <laughs> There are definitely parts of, of 2001, parts of Strange Love work. I'm like, oh, well, you know, that's amazing, but it's a little bit better on this one. Or, you know, he, yeah. he more attention to detail or he, he he was more successful with what he was trying to do at this point or you know, yeah. so on and so forth. But, you know, it's, it's, you know, splitting hairs a lot of the time. Well, and Kubrick never made the same movie, so it's very hard to compare him, them to each other. Right. Right. Because they're also not- distinct. Yeah, it's it's not like he's just cranked out a bunch of sci-fi and you can say which of this was better than that one. Like he made a sci-fi film and said, "All right, I'm good. Right. I made the best one." <laughs> yeah. Wrap it I'm, up. Now I make the best horror movie. Now I'm gonna make the best dark comedy. Best period piece. Best exactly. Yeah. yeah. So forth. Like yeah, he's like, if, if I'm gonna do, it, I'm gonna be the best, and I'm just gonna move on from there. Yeah. What a what a specimen. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. All right. Um, I guess that's it then. Yeah, this this is. I mean, I love talking. I've I've figured out now that between you and Zach and James, I've been on eight podcasts okay. and have discussed two thousand and one in some capacity on four of those eight podcasts. <laughs> well, you're the authority. I, apparently, I am. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, we took what was it like four and a half hours to get through yeah, four. ten movies last time. And uh, two, over two and a half hours to get through one movie. A real, a real good deep dive on it, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. And uh, I, I hope that... I mean, I, I assume if you've listened through this whole thing, you've at least seen the movie. I hope so. I mean, it's been out for quite some time. So, you know, I'm not worried about spoilers or anything. But even if you have, like, I really think it, it, it it's earned and... Is, deserves that additional viewing yes. watched again yep you you might find something new you like yes you know i'm sure there are plenty of things that we didn't even touch on that are amazing and awesome <laughs> in it and uh, i also understand though why some people might find it slow and hard to get into mm-hmm. just being that there is no dialogue for the first 20 minutes and it is deliberately paced so like, yes. like it's my favorite movie of all time it's incredible it is not for everyone Sure. It, it, you know, some know what you're getting into. And I think yeah. at this point, people do when they know when they're talking about 2001. It, it comes with a certain level of baggage, at least. Or you sense. can trick, in, trick your future wife into seeing it through a date. <laughs> so, so, okay, before you go, did she, has you, have you seen it with her? Did she yeah. go with you this time? No, she goes with me this time. Um, we eventually watched it, I don't know, shortly after we got married. Okay. And we got to the end, and she was like, you know what? You better thank your stars that you've screwed up the movie times. <laughs> <laughs> Not her favorite movie? No, no. Uh. She, she found it to be um, pretentious and slow. And I understand that. Like, she, we have different movie tastes, and that is completely <laughs> fine. <laughs> That's fair. 
Yeah, that's fair. So again, in the end, it all worked out, and yeah, my life is in a good place. That's good. I'm glad. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Awesome. Uh. Yeah. Thank you very much. Of course. Anytime. Um. We still have another thing to do. We have another episode to do in the future. What's oh the the music one? Yep. Oh yes, and, and I'm also going to be working on my top 100 sometime in the future here. Okay. Redoing or my top 250, maybe even 300 now. So I will definitely send that to you when it is complete. Perfect. Perfect. I can't wait. Awesome. Uh, thanks again, and uh, I, I look forward to more. Yeah, no, I, I, I enjoy talking with you, Ryan, and I enjoy talking movies, so thank you very much. Not a problem. Have a good one. You too. Thanks. Really appreciate Kyle coming on to talk about his favorite movie uh, for about three hours now. It was a lot of fun. And uh, if you would like to follow Kyle on Letterboxd, uh, I will have that link in today's episode's show description. Um, he, he watches movies and reviews them. So there's that. Uh, but other than, otherwise, that's it for today's episode. So uh, I'm just going to let the outro play, courtesy of Meg Burquist. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like to listen to more episodes, you can find this podcast at circleoffilm.com or on iTunes. Don't forget to rate and review. If you'd like to follow Ryan on Twitter, you can find him at circleoffilm or contact him through email at circleoffilm at gmail.com. You can also support the show at patreon.com slash circle film for as little as eight cents an episode. Thank you again for listening and have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same night. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fades from view. So long, farewell, I'll be the same Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So long.